Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. <laughs> Look at the zoom in. Hey there. Well, I mean... Can you imagine getting getting a closer and closer look? Then you see our ugly mugs. Yeah, on there. that would be brutal. It's brutal. That was a good zoom, Casey. That good was a zoom. great zoom. Hello and welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Rita Rue and Ellie De La Rue over here. Whoa. Casey, Lindsay, we got a great show for you guys today. We come your way ten a, a to twelve. P. That's Eastern time, and we are broadcasting live on <laughs> X. All right, guys, this is what we got planned for you on the show today. We're going to start off. We're going to talk about Xavier's big win over Villanova. What a what a first time I've literally ever seen the end of that game, the way that that game ended. Um, we're going to get – we really haven't talked about the Super Bowl at all, so we're going to devote a lot of time today um, previewing our thoughts on the biggest game of the year, last football game of the year, which is a bit of a somber note because we like watching football in, Love this, watching football. in this studio. But – it should be it's it's marked out to be what could be a, I mean an absolutely fantastic game. Um, we have our top ten players, top ten most important players in the Super Bowl. So make sure to stay tuned for that. That's all in the first hour. In the second hour, we're going to talk about free agency and MLB. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but there are still not just a couple, but dozens of all-star caliber players. That are just floating, meandering around. Of course, Trevor Bauer sent out a tweet saying that he will sign for a league minimum contract. We'll we'll rehash that talk because we've talked about it before here, and I, it, it's it's certainly debatable whether you want Trevor Bauer. We'll do that in the second hour. Also, some news with Nick Saban. We'll do uh, some Super Bowl prop bets. We'll talk about that in the second hour. And I have a top five for you guys today, so that's how we'll round out the show. But um, you know, you bet on the Villanova Wildcats last I night. I did. And you got an absolutely beautiful cover. Xavier won 56-53. It was an absolute slop of a game. Uh, I, I will say this about the game. One, it was a game that Xavier absolutely had to have. You're playing Villanova at home. who's kind of reeling. And uh, you're trying to keep your tournament hopes alive. And what Xavier, they won the game. So you, you can't get upset about that as a Xavier fan. But I was a tad bit upset that they played Villanova's style. I don't know how much of the game you watch. Xavier, they like to run up and down the court. They like to play fast. It was, a, it was not a high-scoring game. It was a very low-scoring game. Xavier, for really the first time all year, had multiple possessions that went down and used almost the full 30 seconds of time. Yeah. You, you watch the game. Like, did you think that Xavier kind of played into what Villanova wanted to do? I think so. I, I, but again, I don't know if I don't know if they played into that or or they're forced into that. Villanova's a damn good team. I through NIL money, that's a that's close to being a million dollar roster uh, that they have over there. So I, I don't think it was by a, a, a lack of effort mm -hmm. did they did they play Villanova's style of basketball. But it certainly was that. I, I watched. I mean, I was watching in the first half. It looked like Xavier was dominating a little bit early on and then we got closer to halftime and, and Villanova started to uh, uh, capitalize on, on the mistakes Xavier was making but again I this is the win this is a win that Xavier needed and they got it it's against Villanova who historically they have not been good against right um, they're kind of like the, they're kind of like the Steelers of, of, of uh, Xavier like yeah. you just can't beat them but I, the the irony of what you just said is they have to play Villanova style but that also mean that also meant 
for really the first time this season, it looked like Xavier, not the first time, but one of the first times, Xavier looked pretty damn good defensively. Yeah. So I guess you match you match good defense with good defense, and that's what Xavier did. Yeah, they, I mean, they held Villanova to a 33% uh, from the field. And, I mean, this is you, – you went to a game earlier this year, and I the did. one thing you walked away saying was, man, they just had – Easy lands to the bucket. It was, I mean, just taking it right to the right. And if you watch Xavier enough, you, you will notice that. Now, they get plenty their own way. That's kind of when you play up and down the court, when you play with a lot of pace that Xavier likes to play with, then, yeah, you, you're you going to give up some easy buckets. You're going to get some, and you just hope at the end of the, the game when the, the full 40 minutes outtick, you look up at the scoreboard, and underneath Xavier, you have more points than your opponent. But, yeah, they played their post. Uh, they played – Villanova's game, they held them to 33% from the field. I think Villanova, talent-wise, clearly not what they used to be. I think they're obviously not coached as well as they used to be. Obviously, this is a Villanova team that's trying to find its footing after losing a legendary head coach in Jay Wright. Uh, Kyle Neptune, who uh, a lot of people, they're, they're hitting the panic button over there in Philadelphia. And maybe he isn't the guy. I know a lot of people don't think he is. There was that... <laughs> We'll get to what happened at the end of the game. That's that's pretty bad coaching. But I don't know. You, you got to give some guys some some rope here. I think he's gonna get some more time to play. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. They 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 held a Villanova team shooting 33% from the field. And more than anything, it, it's like there's ghosts when you play Villanova. Yeah. It's like you you just remember those teams that win the national championship, go to the Final Fours when Jay Wright was there just a couple years ago. We're in the Final Four. And Xavier just could never get over that hump. I think since uh, in their last 10 games, last 11 games, this is only Xavier's third win against Villanova. And that was last year when Villanova didn't have a very good team. They, they lost at home. This year, they, they lose on the road. Um, Des Claude couldn't get it done in the final seconds. So more than anything... This is just saying, like, hey, man, we can't beat these guys. <laughs> like, there, there's there's not some mysticism yeah. around the Villanova basketball team. No, I, but but here's the thing. Xavier, again, in a, in a must-win game, they won. I didn't realize how much, uh, if you want to call them the big three, you can certainly do that, uh, McKnight, Claude, and Oliveri play. Is that how much they play? They play the whole game every game? They, no, they, they, they don't typically was... play 37, 38, 39 minutes. They typically... That, that's that's lunacy. I think it was just the fact that it was such a low-scoring game. Because um, I'm impressed. Those three guys being able to, I mean, I, I don't want to say carry this team, but they certainly carry the team. Um, that is the one thing about Xavier is they don't get a lot of help down low, so it's a lot of guard play. Yeah. Right? It, it is Des Claude. It is Quincy Oliveri. It is Davion McKnight. It's, I mean, I think Uzmain plays well. I don't know. I mean, the, the, the bigs last night, the starting bigs, um, Yaitis and uh, Uzmain went two for 13 from the field. Yeah. Missing layups. I, I, there was a, a time that they, they we missed point-blank alley-oop dunks and then got an easy layup for Uzmain, and he missed it again. So you're, you're right. There is a, a sense of those guards have to play exceptionally well. And I think it was just a, a fact that it was such a low-scoring game that they wanted to keep their guards in. And that's fair. Usman, by the way, did have a couple of great blocks. I think he, yeah, had, he played he played fantastic he, defensively. He had five He had five blocks. on the. He almost had a double-double with blocks and rebounds. But, um, yeah, I, I listen, I, if Xavier's able to if, if Xavier's able to have Quincy Olivari and Desmond Claude contribute at a high level night in, night out for 37 minutes, 35 minutes – uh, I, I do think there's a strong possibility, a strong chance that they are in the tournament. 
in March. I, I don't think it's it's one of those things where you play in one of the hardest conferences in basketball. Every game is going to be tough. Uh, Villanova's twelve and eleven on the year, but at the same time, it's I, they're almost a blue blood. And I I don't I'm not going to call them blue blood, but they're almost a blue blood. As, and and any time you beat a blue blood, you're happy. It's funny because in football, I feel like the blue bloods are are pretty clear, right? Yeah. You got the Ohio States. You've got the Alabamas. You've got, and still to this day, I think that you still got like the the USC's. I think you Notre Dame. I would still consider so up blue there. Blood. Yep, uh, Texas. Um, now the one team that that used to be a blue blood that's no longer is a Nebraska. Yep. Used, to, used to be thought Clemson. of there, and then uh, C- Clemson, Georgia, they peek their heads in and be like, "Hey, this is this is the team right now." Michigan certainly up there as well. College basketball every year that uh, a team that has had a lot of success in the past makes a Final Four. We're like, "Is this team a blue blood?" I mean, we've had that conversation with two Big East teams now in the past three years. It was UConn winning it all last year. Like, is UConn a blue blood? Yeah, I, they won four four national championships, something like that. And Villanova's won a couple. So, like, yeah, but when you think college basketball, do you think Villanova? I do. I do. As I a Big do. East guy. I do. But anyway, so we get we we start to get towards the end of the game. I think Villanova made a couple of different runs. Uh, they might have. They, they had a, like a one point lead at a couple points, a couple point lead. Uh, but Xavier was pretty much always there, and, and, and they take Xavier takes the three-point lead with 20 seconds left. Mm. And it was at this point when you have plus three-and-a-half, and Reba's alluding to the cover, the, the spread was Villanova plus three-and-a-half, which means if they lose by four, I don't win my bet. Plus three-and-a-half, 20 seconds, and usually what happens here, they'll, they'll fire off a shot with eight seconds. Uh, if they miss, you foul, and then you lose your bet. Right. What happened last night with Villanova might be and our boss Trace was texting us, it might be the very worst coaching display I've ever seen in my entire life. At no point have I ever, ever seen a team with 20 seconds on the clock down three willingly not put up a shot. I mean, Xavier played phenomenal defense, lockdown defense on that, on that last possession. But Villanova not like kicking it out to the logo and having any awareness of the clock that is crazy to me. The last thing they did on the court with three seconds left, with the, with his back turned, they kick it out to another guy, just another pass. With one second. With yep. one second left, and, and nobody had any had any clue how much time was left. The, I believe the coach the coach's name Kyle Neptune. Neptune. I was going to call him Jupiter. Uh, I, I was I knew he was I was in my mind. He one was of the one, planets. He was one of the planets. One of the gods. He had a timeout left. How do you not call it? So. I, Kirby and Trace in our group chat last night were, were texting pretty frequently about what this was going to be. I don't mind not calling a timeout right off the rip because you have 20 seconds. Um, obviously, there is a lot of debate about whether you foul up three or not. You typically do if you, you get in the final 10 seconds. Correct. Um, so if Nova's plan was to get it to Housen and let him shoot, let him chuck up a three, let him tie the game because besides them, they couldn't hit anything. Actually, both teams shot historically bad from three other than Hausen. I think uh, if you take Hausen's stats out of it, uh, Villanova was three for 16 from three. Um, if, if you take uh, Quincy Oliveri out of Xavier, they are uh, three of 19 from three. Oof. So disgusting. But if the plan was to get Hausen an open shot, the second that that wasn't apparent, that he wasn't open, you call a timeout. I think there was still seven seconds left on the clock yep. when when they call the time. Call it right then, and yeah, maybe like, if Sean Miller would assume 
uh, presumably would tell them, hey, let's foul right now. Let's foul the guy. But I think Trace was saying, what if you just you, you plan to get an open look off of a screen, the inbounds pass, and you chuck it up from there because then you can't foul the three-point shooter, so that's your best look. Uh, the fact that he took the timeout with him is abysmal. I don't, I don't disagree with Kyle Neptune not calling a timeout and setting up a play with 20 seconds to go. I disagree with after Hausen wasn't open with, with 10 seconds, 8 seconds left, that they just kept running the play and he never, he saw that nothing was happening and he just go, he just let it go. Just let it carry on. I just have never seen anything like that before. Not a shot. And, and I saw, and I saw the, quote, the quotes after the game. Uh, there was a lot of coach speak, but basically he said there were two options. They were either going to run the play or they were going to call a timeout and fix it. They didn't call a timeout and fix it, and they just ran the play to infinity. And unfortunately, infinity ended uh, at double zero. So that's that's tough. I, I I don't know. Villanova's clearly not as good as they as they have been in the past, right. but it's still a damn good competitive team, good defensively. So. Hell of a win by Xavier. That's a bounce back win. Well, you got to win. You, you, you got to win those games at home, and they have a big game this weekend at home. They play Creighton. Um, they they still haven't beat a ranked team. I know people that are in college basketball don't like don't like eight people, and I get it. I, I truly understand it. Yeah. But it is it is cute when that little number is sitting right next to their right right next to their name when you you look at the score bug during it. So this is an opportunity for Xavier to to really get a, another quad one win at home against uh, against Creighton. And get finally that that big win that they've been searching for. Listen, if you look at how Xavier has played over the past month, they got they've beaten every non-ranked team. They they beaten Providence at Providence, came home against Butler and dominated that game. Uh, barely beat Georgetown at home, but thank God they won that game. Beat St. John's at home, went on the road, beat a terrible DePaul team, come home and beat a Villanova team. Obviously, their two losses are that that game against Creighton that they had a lead in the final 10 minutes on the road, and then they get absolutely blown out against UConn. Mousecott put in a, a great uh, stat, said they shot better at UConn than they did last night. Xavier did. So just to show you how historically bad shooting um, there was. But this is an opportunity. They go on a good stretch. Home against Creighton, opportunity for a great win. You go on a road against Seton Hall, who's been teetering around being AP ranked all season long. They're certainly a tournament team. That's a really good team. Then you come home against Providence. You take two out of the three. If not all three, you are squaring right in the face of a very real tournament shot. Because we talk about how their odds are greater than not to make the tournament at this very moment. Correct. If you beat a Creighton team at home, and then you go on the road, beat Seton Hall, you are you are not only staring at it, you you start hearing these bracketologists going like, hey, this Xavier team's a very real uh, tournament team. If they win the next two games, they are 100% in the tournament at that point. I don't know how – I don't know about that. How would you not be? Uh, Seton Hall is a borderline ter tournament team, and Creighton is a top 25 team. Um, I, I don't know – I don't understand how you wouldn't be. But, uh, I mean, obviously the path is there for Xavier. If they can play defense like that – uh, they do have a damn good chance. They do have. Do they have to play Marquette twice. Still, they do have to play Marquette, they have to play twice. Marquette twice. Okay, so you got two tough ones against Marquette. Obviously, Butler on the road uh, is no slouch either. So, but I, I, again, I don't know. I, I think there's there's a very clear path for Xavier, and it's more than doable. So good for them. Hell of a win last night. So we have some some breaking news. We had a sur bomb. It's been a we long did. time since we had a sur bomb. Before we get to the sur bomb. Uh, we do have a super chat, Justin Edgel, $5 super chat. He said, uh, let's be real. Tom is at orientation for his new job today. Tom will be back tomorrow. Um, and it's incredibly apparent that Tom hasn't been around over the past, like, 
three for weeks. The, yeah, for the, for the past few weeks, and we'll have news about what's going on with all that. So Tom will, will be able to tell you what's going on right there. He'll be back tomorrow. We'll have a, we'll have a show before the Super Bowl, a final show before the Super Bowl, um, and then off the bench we'll, we'll, we'll carry on. So uh, the breaking news came from Sir Boy Wonder. Casey, you want to you wanna read this one out? Yeah, I got you. Uh, basically, what happened was the Bengals announced that they are hiring Justin Riscotti as a pass game coordinator. This is a completely new position for the Cincinnati Bengals in 2024. Imagining that they're wanting to maybe uh, have a better uh, grip and uh, handle on the passing game and maybe uh, make it a little more easier on Joe Burrow to uh, find the open guys. So they're going to have a guy for uh, the, the coordination of that. And because of that, the Bengals also promoted Brad Cragthrope to the quarterback's coach and Jordan Kovacs to the secondary safeties coach. So some movement in the, uh, in the building, but more, of, more or less just uh, promoting from within. And, um, yeah, I think these are all good moves from the Bengals. It still – you know, consistency, that, that's the word that we would like to use. Um, just, you know, everyone's familiar with each other. Um, Brad's been working with Joe for a couple years now as the assistant quarterbacks coach. Uh, Jordan Kovacs, I believe, he was the assistant secondaries coach. So he's been in the building um, for a while now, too. I don't know about Justin Riscotti. I don't know what, what that, uh, who he would, you know, where, where he came from. I haven't looked at it just yet, but um, I think all these are good moves from the Bengals. I, by the way, Casey, you know, we, we're not used to hosting this show from this side, so uh, yeah. we didn't get to say hello, Casey and Lindsay. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Kelsey? I'm great. That's good. That's great. All right, Such well, a... we said hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Uh, now, these moves on the long term, I mean, how, how much do they mean, really? Uh, I, I mean, just looking at, I mean, just looking at it, uh, I mean, this is, these aren't massive moves, yeah? These are just, these are just, you know, past. No, no, no. They, they, it's, it, it's the fact that they are going in a new direction, right? It's the first time the Bengals have hired a passing game coordinator, correct, Casey? Yeah, this is this is the first time that they'll have a passing game coordinator. I think in the Zach Taylor era, and uh, when you think of the the coordinators themselves, like the offense and defensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator had a run game coordinator in our offensive line coach. Can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, drawing a blank at the moment, but we have a run game coordinator. We've never had a pass game coordinator. And I'm guessing it's going to be mainly coming up with new scheme design. That's what I would imagine. Maybe they're keeping track of what's going on in-game, but they're not making calls within the game. They're, they're more or less just uh, looking at it a week-to-week -week basis and saying, we need to run these pass plays in order to be effective, successful against this team. It's just another layer of, of eyes to kind of help mold what the game plan will be. So what was – if you recall when um, Brian Callahan made the news that he was getting hired down to Nashville when he was going to take over the Tennessee Titans head coaching job, we did a live um, Chatterbox Bengals show, and the, the buzzword that evening – and it's still it, – it was a buzzword for about a week – was a fresh set of eyes, right? A new look. So someone that comes into the building from the outside that gives outside perspective into what the Bengals are doing. I think we can all admit that – Maybe not all, 
I know there's some Bengals fans that, that want more from this team, and I think that's fair, a fair expectation that with all the weapons that the Bengals have that maybe they should be uh, an elite top-of-the-top offense. I don't think that's uh, – I, 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 I think that's more than fair. So how do you get that without having new eyes? Because like, if, you, if you keep the same guys in the building, it's just more of the same. And that's exactly what the Cincinnati Bengals did, right? They, they elevate their quarterback's coach to, to offensive coordinator, someone that they all liked, right? Dan Pitcher. And then they go, all right, now we want a passing. We want somebody else to come in. They make a new role, and now they have fresh eyes looking at this offense. I don't think that this is a negative. Like, Elliot, I know it, it looks like a small move. I know it looks like a small move, but it's exactly what Bengals fans were hoping for. It's someone from the outside coming in to look at this offense and give outside perspective, which as I've said on this show a thousand times in a thousand ways, collaboration is good. Change is sometimes good, more often good. So when you collaborate with other voices, with people from outside the system that said, hey, this worked for us in Minnesota, right? Because that's where uh, Raz Caddy came from. Pronounce that name right, right, Raz? I have no idea how to pronounce it. We didn't, have, get, didn't get a pronunciation. No guy. pronunciation check. But when you get a guy coming from Minnesota and you say, hey, what worked for you there? What worked with Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson? What worked there? Comes in, looks at this, and said, hey, I think you can do this with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I think you can do this with your real weapon, Joe Burrow and Drew Sample. So, yeah, a fresh set of eyes. This, this isn't something we're going to be talking about in three months. This isn't something we're going to be talking about in week eight of the season. But this is the kind of moves that you like, right? Evolution in the coaching staff, fresh set of eyes looking at the offense. That's fair. That's fair. That's, uh, so we broke that news. We broke that news. Casey, Go Bengals. Yeah, Casey, any other points on the on the moves in the in the free agent? Casey, any points? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you just explained it eloquently already. Um, I'm just looking at some of the stuff here. He was – I don't know how to pronounce his name. Just Justin. I'm going to just say Justin. Just say now. Justin. Uh, Justin, he came from Minnesota as an assistant offensive line coach. Uh, he also previously served as the offensive quality control coach for Denver. Um, he was a quarterbacks coach for Tennessee in 2017, offense coordinator for Tennessee Tech. So he, he is very well versed in a lot of the uh, offensive scheming, game planning at many different levels. Uh, played quarterback for Louisville in 2003. That's interesting. So he, he's got a quarterback's background as well. I know a lot of the Bengals staff have uh, quarterback backgrounds, have uh, played in the NFL, or not NFL, but they've played at, at a college level, at a high level at some point in their careers. So it's just interesting, some uh, fun facts there have, about the guy. And, have you noticed that uh, all offensive coordinators are one of two things? More likely than not, they're quarterbacks. Sometimes they're linemen. But it's, it, it's never a running back. It's never a tight end. It's never a wide receiver. It's typically linemen and quarterbacks. And the reason that a lot of quarterbacks, we talk about this in baseball, like why do catchers always become managers? Um, the reason that quarterbacks become offensive coordinators are is because they see the whole field. Same thing for catchers in baseball. The reason catchers make good managers is because they see the whole field. When you play shortstop, you're worried about being the shortstop. Right, you know you got to, you know you got to turn two, you know you got to throw it over to first base, you know you got to be the cutoff man. When you're the catcher, you got to make sure everyone's in the right position. You got to make sure that everyone's where they need to be. Same with quarterbacks. When you're when you're a slot receiver, you're reading, you know, the the linebacker or the safety coming down on you. 
when you're the quarterback, you've got to read everything. You got to read defensive line fronts. You got to do all that stuff. So it's a good thing that there's more quarterbacks in the front office because these are guys that see the entire field. These are guys that have to, you know, make make adjustments on the fly. These are guys that 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 really have to understand the game at a higher level than really anybody else on the field. Same with linemen. One last thing I'll, I'll add to this conversation, why this is a big deal. Um, the Bengals receivers, tight ends, anyone that was running around last season, um, they were one of the most covered pass catchers mm-hmm. in the league. So defenses were covering them at one of the highest rates in the NFL. Joe Burrow is just one of the best quarterbacks He's one of the most accurate quarterbacks, can make the throws to get them open. I think they were sitting at like fifth or seventh most covered unit in the league. So, I mean, part of that has to do with Joe Burrow being out half the season too, I'm sure. But, yeah, I mean, hopefully this uh, that that helps and improves the, the, the way that they, they get open because we all know if you're open, Joe Burrow is going to find you and hit you. So. Right. No doubt about it. All right, so we – No, I was just – oh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to transition. That's what I was going to try to do it. Do it. No, I didn't want to do it. Mine's going to be as good. I was going to say, speaking of football. <laughs> Ooh, speaking of football, there's a big football game this weekend. There is. Some might is say it? super. How are you going to tra- – let's do your transition now. I was going to – I was probably going to do something similar. I was like, well, we promised you guys we'd talk about the Super Bowl, and we, we are going to talk about the Super Bowl for a great majority of the rest of this first hour. And – there were some topics that I think uh, that you wanted to talk about. And, and listen, after the conference championship games, you dive into, oh, how do the, the Niners match up to the Chiefs? Then you kind of go quiet for about a week and a half. That's right. And now we are just a few days away from the Super Bowl. I, the 49ers looked like the best team in the NFC all season long. And you, you look at the Chiefs, I don't think many people saw the Chiefs as a top team, certainly for the second half of the year. But they went on in the postseason. Everyone wanted to say, I wanted to see Patrick Mahomes play on the road. They, they, they shut down a, a Dolphins team that had a very explosive offense. Maybe, maybe the Chiefs didn't shut them down. Maybe make negative 30-degree temperatures shut them down. Then they go to Buffalo, beat a, a white-hot Buffalo Bills team, beat a, a Ravens team uh, on the road who looked, who looked like the best team in football all season long. So I think as we, as we could see, we're looking at – one of, if not the best team in the league all season long in the 49ers, the best roster, no doubt, versus a team that is playing their best football towards the end of the year. 100%. And I think what a lot of it was, there was some, there was a misconception that the Chiefs have been struggling to score points. I don't know if, if it's been they've been struggling to score points as much as their defense has been dominating games to a point where you don't need to put on 40 points a game. I don't think they need to. Uh, They scored 13 against the Chargers in a meaningless last season game. Other than that, they scored 25 against the Bengals. They scored uh, 14 against the Raiders. I would say there's a lot of asterisks on that one given the weather circumstance. Uh, 27 against the Patriots. Um, they scored 31 against the Raiders prior, uh, but there are games where there's there's they scored 19 against the the Packers. Asterix, there was a the worst missed pass interference call of all time. They scored 17 against the Bills in a loss. They only scored 21 in London or Germany, wherever the hell they played against the Dolphins. Yep. Uh, they scored nine against the Broncos. So there are there are, there are, there are moments during this season where it looks like the offense is inept, certainly, but I'd argue that. 
what they have lost offensively, they've gained and then added some more uh, defensively. And that's, I think, the biggest – that's my biggest story in this game is can the Chiefs uh, put up 28 points in this game? Can they score enough points to win comfortably opposed to having a, another Brock Purdy miracle um, comeback situation like they did against Detroit? I think, I think they're more than capable. I think Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs will figure it out. Uh, I think all the stuff surrounding Kadarius Tony is very funny. Um, but the, the receiving core obviously has not been good in Kansas City. It's been terrible. Travis Kelsey's picked it up in the postseason. Uh, Rasheed Rice, for, for the last half of the season, has been phenomenal. Um, so offensively, and, and Isaiah Pacheco, really, and, and that's another part of it, too, where when you have a great defense and a great run game, you're going to win a lot of football games, and that's what they've been over the past several weeks. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco has been really carrying the load. He's getting like 18 carries a game, 15, 17 carries a game. Um, just, just absolutely workhorsing the first half to a point, not where it's comfortable in the second half, but where they can certainly, uh, they can certainly hold a lead, um, with, with Isaiah Pacheco. So yeah, I, I think the offense is going to be good enough, but that's my biggest question is can the Chiefs score 28 points, 29 points? Well, points? the, the, the stat of the day I gave this in, uh, the conference championship game, yeah. um, I'll give it right here is when the Chiefs score 21 points, they are undefeated this year. They have if they have they have yet to lose a game where they score 21 points. Every game that they've lost, if it's been a an offensive miscue, and I think that I I if you watch this show, you might have heard it enough about how good this Chiefs defense is because I've I've been bringing it up pretty much since week six about man, this is a top five defense in the league. And what did they do? They, they in the the postseason on the road shut down a Bills team, shut down a Ravens team. So I think it's I think it's the better defense going into this game. And I know that sounds crazy based off of all of the names on the 49ers defensive side, right? You're talking about guys like Bosa, guys like Chase Young, guys like Fred Warner. Yeah. All of these names, um, name brands aren't always as good as, as the Kirkland signatures, mm -hmm. right? And I know that the Chiefs have some, have some big names. Chris Jones, um, Karloftis, is that his name? Casey, did I spell Yeah, Karloftis. Right. Yeah, Karloftis. Outside of him, how, how many Chiefs defensive players can you name? Not a lot. None. Absolutely lot. none. So when you get a person that doesn't that hasn't seen these two teams, they go, wow, this 49ers team's absolutely stacked. I would argue that the 49ers or the, the, the Chiefs defense is playing significantly better going into this game. And like I mentioned, when the Chiefs score 21 points, they're undefeated. And this is a 49ers defense that has given up a lot of points to Jared Goff to uh, a, a rookie, pretty much, and Jordan Love to a very young, the youngest team that has made the postseason since the 70s and the Green Bay Packers. So I I don't know. There, there's still all of these these concerns about the, the Chiefs' offense, and I think that it's more than fair. Um, but at the end of the day, you are talking about one of the greatest offensive minds in the history of the NFL, and Andy Reid, you're talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks that the NFL has already seen, already through his first six years, and, and Patrick Mahomes going on and, and playing a 49ers team. Now, on the opposite end, you're talking about a 49ers team that has the best roster that I have maybe ever seen put together. Truly. In terms of names, right? Every single position level, they've got all pros. They've got the best running back in the league. They've got a top two tight end in the league. They've got the probably the best receiving core in the league between Debo Samuel and, and Brandon Ayuk is certainly up there. On the defensive side, across the front, unstoppable. 
Their linebackers, fantastic. Secondary, great. So this is, without a doubt, one of the best rosters. So what's going to what's gonna show out? The team that's, that's red hot and the Kansas City Chiefs that has the experience of winning this game? Or is it the team that's been one of the best teams in the NFL all season long that has a spunky, smug, and pompous quarterback? Uh, <laughs> I made it this far without doing it. You almost got I'm sorry. There. Almost got through the first uh, 30 minutes of the 35 minutes of the show without bringing that up. But really, one of the best offensive, uh, one of the a great offensive mind in Kyle Shanahan, a team that's that's been to this level before. This quarterback hasn't, but they've certainly have played in the NFC Championship game for I believe each of the last four years, four last five years, something like that. So this is a team with a lot of postseason experience too. What's gonna give? When when one of your worst defensive players is Chase Young, you're in a pretty damn good spot. And that's, and that's where the 49ers are. And wins this season, every single win the 49ers have had this year, they've scored 27-plus points. The five losses, they didn't do that. There were, and really, the, the five losses aren't even five losses because the fifth loss was in a game where they didn't play a single starter. Uh, and then there was a three-game stretch where it looked like the, the wheels were falling off. But that was due to injuries. Brock Purdy got hurt a little bit. Uh, I remember the game in, um, uh, I think it was Cleveland. I think they were playing in Cleveland, and um, it was rainy. It was disgusting. And Jake Moody, their kicker, missed a 30-yarder to win the game, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so even in their losses, it's, it's close. It's tight. Uh, you're not going to blow out the San Francisco 49ers. And I think that's what Reed and I were talking about the other day is uh, there's not going to be a ton of points scored in this game. It's going to be a defensive It's going to be a defensive slugfest. And I really do believe if you had to give an edge to a team, I do think it's the 49ers. But – but saying all that, you have to ride with the better quarterback. I, I've always believed this, and Reed is 100% true. When, when you think of college football, you think of the best team. Not, no, there's no bigger testament than the, what just happened this year when Michigan won. Right. Um, and that's no disrespect to J.J., but again, McCarthy was not the, the reason that team was good. It was because of everything around him. In, in the NFL, I firmly believe it's the quarterback. The quarterback wins Super Bowls. The better quarterback wins Super Bowls nine times out of ten. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, and that's and that's all they need, really. And, and this is another point. It brings me to my next point. People, it's very evident. It's very evident the world is against the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. They are the biggest villains in the sport right now, without, sure. without a doubt. My They're question, the my, They are. My question to you, should Patrick Mahomes be the villain? Is, is he the guy we're really expressing our frustrations against here? Because he, because he whines every once in a while towards referees. Is that what we're doing? Because in my opinion, Patrick Mahomes has not earned the hate that he's received. The only thing he's done is win. And, and, and the only knock against him really has been that A, he whines against refs, and B, his family. There's, I mean, and when it comes to sports, when teams start to kind of create a dynasty, and I think that the, the Chiefs, if they haven't done it already, they're on the precipice of it. If they win this game, it is a dynasty. However, you define it. Most people define it three championships in five years, which is exactly what they would be. I think it's would it be three and five or three and six, something like that. But they'd have three championship in, in Patrick Mahomes' first six years. So when a team is constantly at the forefront of the sport, um, you, you talk about everyone hates the New York Yankees, and, and that hate it went away for a while because the yeah. Yankees weren't very good in the eighties. And in the early 90s, they were just kind of mediocre. And what did they do? They, they won the 1995 or 1996, 8, 9, 2000 World Series. 
and to this day, people still hate them for it. We're seeing this with the Dodgers just because they're constantly in. Um, they're spending all the money. They're, they're going to the NLCS seemingly every single year. Um, we saw this with the Patriots. The Patriots were the villain of the sport for more than a decade because in the first seven, eight years, whatever Tom Brady won his first three championships in, um, people were sick of it. People get really sick of it. Now, they had a – I would argue that Bill Belichick certainly – fits the villain bill more than an Andy Reid. I don't know how in the world anyone could hate Andy Reid. He's, he's <laughs> Mr. Pringle. He's, he's chubby Mr. Pringle. He's got a beautiful mustache. When you see his mustache frozen over on the sidelines, it makes me laugh. I love Andy Reid. Uh, Andy, Andy Reid, every time he does an interview, you love him more because he just seems like a nice, jolly guy. 100%. Literally seems like a nice, jolly guy. But there's all those things about Patrick Mahomes too, right? He's, he's, got, a, he's got a brother that makes TikToks that – that annoy people. He's got he's got his wife pouring champagne over the fans. Those are bad looks. Those are bad looks. Now I would say but that it's not bad looks for him. That, I would that's yeah, I was gonna say I would say out of everything that Patrick Mahomes has done, it's hard to hate Patrick Mahomes other than when he cried about the Travis Kelsey lateral. That Correct. play was like the first time that you're like, God, this dude's kind of a crybaby. But up until that point, it it really for me at least. I know other people hate it, but. It was hard for me to hate Patrick Mahomes because every time he answered questions, it was very, very cordial. I mean, I don't know if you saw that TikTok of him making an all-time fantasy team with like a ten-year-old kid, but it was the cutest thing in the world. It was he seems like he seems like a very to me he seems like a very nice guy. But yeah, I think people just get tired of of people competing at a very high level. When, when someone gets to the front of the sport, you just want to knock them down. You just want to knock them down until they beat you upside the head, like Tom Brady did. Right, everyone hated Tom Brady for two decades. He leaves the Patriots, wins somewhere else, and we were like, "Oh, this Tom Brady guy, he's getting drunk off jalapeno tequila or yeah, jalapeno tequila on a yacht." You're like, "This guy's kind of kind of down to earth, kind of a nice guy." But even and then he beats you upside the head with it. Even the stuff Tom Brady did though, like the TB12 method, when, when he's when he's on the field and he cried, Tom Brady cried for calls just like Mahomes does, uh, and not to mention there's the long long video montages of him dinking and dunking and the system quarterback narrative there were things there were more things that Tom Brady did to be a villain as it were than, than Patrick Mahomes and I think it's crazy that uh, in today's age that Patrick Mahomes is the villain of this league there's there could be a lot of villains in this league it's Patrick Mahomes is is our villain because of the things Reed just said is uh, he's been winning he's been winning if, if Tom Brady could do the things Mahomes did uh, talent wise, there would be no, there would be no debate. There would be no debate that he's the greatest of all time. But somehow people still debate Tom Brady's the goat. Tom Brady's won seven Super Bowls. There's, right. it should be, it should be undeniable. But yet there's still haters out there that say he dinked and dunked his way to seven Super Bowls. Yeah, well, you know what's crazy about, oh, man, I'm gonna get hated for this, uh, for this take. What's crazy about when you have like the goat conversations about the greatest quarterbacks of all times? There's typically two roads that you can go down. There is team success. Yeah. Right. Like this T. This guy won four Super Bowls, or like Tom Brady. This guy won seven Super Bowls, multiple time MVP. Or you can go the talent factor, right? Like the John Elways, the Dan Marinos, where you go. If you watch this guy play, he is Brett Favre. If you watch this guy play, this dude is slinging all over the field, escaping sacks, doing great things. Peyton Manning had a great arm talent. He didn't have the athletic ability of moving around, being um, very mobile. But, you know, early in the Peyton Manning era, it was this dude could absolutely throw the shit out of him. Yeah. And the thing about Patrick Mahomes is 
this to this point in his career, he's done both. He's the first quarterback that I remember doing both things at this high of a level. And I'm not a I'm not an NFL historian. I I I, I know baseball stats like like no other. I don't know NFL um, the history of the NFL as well. But I can tell you, based off of just what I've seen, he's the first quarterback that I can that I can remember having both as high of team success as he's had and been able to do things that other quarterbacks. Like it's very Aaron Rodgers esque. To where, like, when you watched Aaron Rodgers early in his career, abs- like, jaw-dropping-to-the-floor kind of plays. But Aaron Rodgers won that Super Bowl. And then, I mean, he made a couple NFC Championship games, but but never got back. Yeah. And he's still playing, obviously. But it's the combination of the both yeah. that, that makes Patrick Mahomes incredible. But speaking of the Chiefs again, Eric Bieniemy, uh, there was a report, Adam Schefter, I believe, was the first to get it. Adam Schefter... Uh, reported that Eric Bieniemy will not be joining the Commanders next season. He will be leaving. But <laughs> yesterday, apparently, or alleged yesterday, I think um, <clears throat> Schefter got a hold of another one, and basically, Bieniemy has been talking through the Chiefs' offense and helping them out. That is one of the more wild stories I've seen because even though he's not returning next year with the Commanders, I'm pretty sure he's still under that contract. So I don't know how that all works. That would that would break contract then, right? I would assume, but I don't I don't I don't understand it. I don't I don't understand it because the report was he was never fired. It's just that he wasn't coming back. So that means he's still under contract in Kansas City, helping the Chiefs or Las Vegas. That that doesn't that doesn't jive at all. Like that doesn't listen. I the thing about Eric Bieniemy is is. Uh, God, I feel bad for the guy because yeah. for the longest time he couldn't get a head coaching job, couldn't get a head coaching job. He, uh, he he bets on himself, and he gets fired for Cliff Kingsbury after one year. So that is what it is. But I did not know he was uh, helping the Kansas City Chiefs. What if they uh, what if they go out and look like the Kansas City Chiefs of the past few years, which just lighten it all over the field? I don't know. Like, it, do you have a hard opinion on that? Like uh, like him him showing up and, and helping no, I, the Chiefs? Like, I, I clearly think- breaks contract. <clears throat> I think I think it's just one of those things where uh, Eric Bieniemy is clearly going to get another job, and I would assume it's now going to be in Kansas City. I don't know what position that would be, uh, but it does suck that a, a guy that I think there were a lot of doubts uh, along talking head amongst talking heads that whether or not he should be a head coach, and it sucks that it didn't work at all in Washington. So now those doubts are still going to be there, and, and whether or not he'll get a head coaching job, I'll never know. But he was certainly a large part of the offense being the, the reason that the, those Chiefs teams won Super Bowls. So I, I think he deserves a head coaching job. But, again, he will not, he will not have one for quite some time, I'd imagine. But Eric Bieniemy apparently, this was a report I sent Casey, uh, and this was, this was the official uh, the report. I said report twice. Andrew is Eric Bieniemy, who was the offensive coordinator with the Washington Commanders. Remember, this past season left the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, the night before the AFC title game in Baltimore, I'm, my understanding is he drove up, went to the team hotel, met with the offensive side of the ball. Now there was a play I was told up that they were going over, and Eric Bieniemy went up. It was an old play, kind of went through the install with the offense for old times' sake with the entire group and Patrick Mahomes told us that there were kind of some chill bumps with guys 
in that room with Eric Bieniemy back in front of them. He said it's just you can feel him and feel his presence when he's in a room. And I had a long conversation with Marquez Valdez-Scantling about EB, and he told me, you know, last year, you may be at times you kind of tuned him out a little bit, all the yelling. He yells at everybody from Andy Reid down to the janitor. But when he was back in that room that night, I kind of got the feeling that I, I missed it, and I took it maybe for granted. And I bring this all up because remember the issues that this Chiefs team had at points of this season, whether they were pre-snap penalties, whether they were alignment issues. And I had a number of people late in the season in the building, Andrew, tell me that their thought is if EB was with this team, some of those things, that attention to detail type of stuff, wouldn't happen. So having him maybe back in the building before the AFC Championship game, maybe a little bit of a restart, a little bit of an acknowledgement of what he always brought, and maybe fine-tuned a couple things helping out this team as they head out into the Super Bowl. I think it's fascinating that Just interesting to me. I don't know. It's wild. In all honesty, if he's still under contract, that is absolutely wild. That, that seems like a... Because he did it before the AFC Championship seems game. Seems like a breach of contract. Which means that he was definitely still employed by the commanders. That re- the, the right. He wasn't re- coming back report came out later. So that's weird. That's strange. But Biennemi, again, I, I assume he's going to get another job probably with Kansas City. <laughs> so he technically, he was an NFC offensive coordinator helping an AFC team get to the Super Bowl. That's correct. Wild. Absolutely wild. Casey, about 15 minutes ago, it looked like you were going to have a, a take on on the Super Bowl. I, Nicholas Reed Mouse, lover of Casey McAllister, would love to hear that. I don't even know what I was going to say. Yes. it was 15 minutes ago. Casey, any so points? Casey, any points? How about that? Casey, any yeah. points? All right, so here's what we did do. Me and Casey, but apparently Casey doesn't want to be attached to this anymore. Me no, and no, this is your list. This is Reed's list. His top 10 list of the best players in the Super Bowl. Why don't you start it off, Reed? Just just kick it off. So here's what we're going to do to round out the, the final first hour of the show. Because you guys have now hated on me for 45 minutes. I love this list. I, in all honesty, I'll, I'll, I'll lay the groundwork. Me and Casey said, hey, let's, let's think of a segment tomorrow. Um, let's do the 10 most important players, the 10 best players in the Super Bowl. You see other talk shows do this. They say, hey, I think this player is important. I think this player is important. And obviously, uh, certainly the 49ers are stacked. The, the Chiefs have some um, future Hall of Famers in their own right. Who are the 10 best players playing in the Super Bowl? And before I show you this list, before I show you this list, me and Casey were in absolute collaboration making this list. So I just want you guys to know, and I think you guys are alluding to where I'm getting to, but this is the top 10 players in this year's Super Bowl. We'll get this little thing going. All right. Coming in at number 10, this was Casey's pick of choice, Isaiah Pacheco. Casey, why'd you want Isaiah Pacheco on this top 10? Uh, I wanted Isaiah Pacheco to be on the list just because I feel like in this game in particular, he's going to be very important. I think they've really started to establish the run game as of late. Uh, when they played each other in the Super Bowl back in 2020, Damian Williams, their running back, rushed for 17 carries, 104 yards, and a touchdown that averaged about six yards a carry. On the day, they uh, rushed about 29 times. I think that... Pacheco is going to be very important to this, uh, this this game plan for the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, also the 49ers, they, they really struggle in terms of stopping the run. Uh, they give up the most yards after contact, I believe. So that's also another reason to be looking out for Isaiah Pacheco and why I think he should be on the top 10 list of 
most important players. I think this was the biggest point of contention between you and I, because when we talked about um, what players should get on and what players shouldn't get on, um, you were like, hey, this is this is going to be somewhere. This has been uh, a, a big part of the Chiefs' success this postseason. The one thing that we haven't talked about enough, maybe we did last week, but uh, it was their ability to absolutely dominate. Are you fighting me on this, I'm showing not, this top no, ten list? I am not. For some that. reason, it keeps going away. It keeps it keeps put, pushing off. Like, it might just disappear here in a second. But uh, they dominated the possession game. I'm not doing it. I, I didn't touch it. I'm, I'm not touching it. Did we put a timer on these? There oh. is a timer on. I got it. Yeah, I'll fix it. Was the timer. There, there was, it was on a 10-second timer. Right. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. All right, we're back. We're all the way back. But, yeah, they dominated the, the time of possession. So if the Chiefs are able to do that against the 49ers, stay on the field longer than the, than the 49ers, I like the Chiefs' uh, chances to win this game. Coming in at number nine, this is also another one of Casey's guys, but it's certainly one of the best wide receiving talents in the entire league, and that's Brandon Ayuk. Um, Brandon Ayuk leads the team in, in receiving. He's one of the top receivers in the NFL this year. Um, so not Ayuk, but oh no. <laughs> well, it's not a it's not a good graphic without a. Who is that? That is, I believe, Fred Warner. There we go. There's Ayuk. Yeah, Fred Warner's number eight. But Casey, yeah, yeah, Ayuk, Ayuk this year has proved a lot in terms of being able to carry the number one receiving role on this offense. He has 1,300 yards this year. He's been targeted about roughly 100 times for like 75, 79 catches. So very efficient there. Um, has like eight touchdowns. You saw what he did in the AFC Championship game. He did just enough to uh, make that – Crazy catch, right? Very, very skillful there. And uh, when it mattered most, he caught the touchdown in the back of the end zone, trying to uh, keep momentum for the 49ers in that win against the Lions. So I think in terms of this Super Bowl, I think Ayuk versus Tredavious Ward will be something that we're going to have to watch out for, especially because I don't know. Did we get clarification on Devo Samuel's health? Is he fine? I think he's fine, right? I think, yeah, I think he's going to play. I think, yeah. he's, I think he's healthy. At two but, weeks to recover, yeah. But tr- I, think, I think Ward is going to be following Ayuk around. I don't know that to be 100% certain, but in terms of how this offense has performed this season, Ayuk has been looked at the most. He's mm-hmm. been the number one receiver. Uh, Debo Samuel, he, he was number one a couple years ago, uh, last year even. He, he's been He's a very effective target, too. I just think that now they have the option of two number one receivers. So, yeah, no, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. They they do have the option of two number one receivers, and he certainly has the stats that have put it up. He, I think, he has benefited from teams having to key on all the things that Debo Samuel does, because Debo Samuel is arguably one of the most versatile. Uh, wide receiving threats in the entire National Football League. I believe it was Kyle Shanahan talking about uh, Debo plays. Like, when he's not playing, they have to take out half their playbook. But Ayuk is the true, like, wide receiver, right? He's the guy that that downfield threat, get him over the middle of the field. He, he, he does a lot of nice things. Brandon Ayuk had, had a fantastic season. It's He's actually been my favorite 49er to watch blossom over the past two years, a guy that I didn't know a whole lot about before uh, towards the end of last year, but he's certainly been. So now it's actually the guy that was originally number nine. It's Fred Warner. This is one of the best linebackers in the league. And when you talk about the 49ers, you you bring up 
all of their all-pro players, right? You talk about their offensive line, talk about their, their running backs, and all those guys we'll, we'll mention later on in this. But the role of a linebacker has shifted over the past decade. It, they used to be the, the, the lifeline, the blood, the heart pumping of the defense, and that isn't so much the case anymore, but Fred Warner is the lifeline of this 49ers defense. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be very important in stopping what I feel like the Chiefs are going to want to do, which is run the ball. And uh, I don't believe, if I look at this list here, I don't believe, no, Fred Warner played in the Super Bowl, so I am mistaken there. But um, he's going to be really important because not only is he going to have to stop Pacheco, he's going to be able to have to cover his portion of the field which involves Travis Kelsey in the middle of the field. So, I mean, he, he's going to be targeted and uh, abused all game. And luckily, when you have an all-pro linebacker that's able to kind of ball hawk, be able to strip the ball, be able to do everything that you ask, I mean, you, you deserve to be high on the list. So, yeah. Coming in at number seven, seventh most. It's so confusing because they all wear red. She's in the 49ers, <laughs> so it's really hard to, to distinguish them. But it, it's Trent Williams. Listen, there's, there's, a, there's a stat um, that we talked about, I believe, when the Bengals played the 49ers earlier in this year, that when Trent Williams doesn't play, 49ers, who have been one of the best teams in the NFL over the past five seasons and certainly over the course of Kyle Shanahan's um, head coaching career, when Trent Williams doesn't play, they are a sub-500 team. That's how important he is to this 49ers offense. He is someone, I mean, I've brought up the most important position players on the field. I think it's quarterbacks, number one. Protection for the quarterback is the second most important thing that you can have. And Trent Williams, Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, if he's not on this field, this 49ers team looks completely different. Luckily, he's going to be on the field for the 49ers, and he gets just as much credit to the um, success of Brock Purdy as a Christian McCaffrey, as a Brandon Ayuk, as a George Kittle, as a Debo Samuel. He is absolutely crucial to Kyle Shanahan's offense. Yeah, I mean, he is uh, – I would say that – if he was not in the off, if he was not on the 49ers, you would not see as a explosive run game with Christian McCaffrey. You would not see the time that Brock Purdy has in the pocket. He literally neutralizes uh, your best pass rusher every single time he's on the field. I mean, he's one of the best. He, he'll probably be a Hall of Famer one day. Mm -hmm. He's that good. Canton. Um, yeah, he's just a he, he's a gamer. I really like Trent Williams. Seven, deservedly. Speaking of pass rush, go ahead and give it to Bosa. Number six, we, we talked about Fred Warner. Let's talk about the other big name on, on that defensive side of the ball for the 49ers, and that's Bosa. He's a perennial defensive player of the year candidate. Um, you, you mentioned it's not just Bosa. It's Armstead that, that gets, back to the, gets back to the quarterback frequently, and, and sometimes they, they work in unison to get back there, but – Bosa is certainly the guy that you have to key when you're getting ready to play the game plan. Um, if if Bosa can get to Patrick Mahomes consistently, the 49ers aren't just going to win this thing. They're going to run away with this thing. And that's the one thing that I think not enough people are talking about in this game. The Chiefs don't have the ability to run away with this game. The Chiefs won't win this game by two-plus touchdowns. The 49ers absolutely have that ability to win this game by 15 20, like three possessions plus. And it all starts if they can get to the quarterback. And Bosa is certainly one of those players. Yeah, I mean, Bosa, I mean, he's going up against 
a duo of tackles that were one of the worst pairs in the NFL this season. One of the worst. And they hold a lot. Um, they gave up the most pressures this season. They were not very effective. Last uh, Super Bowl matchup against these two, Nick Bosa had a sack. Um, he had a pass deflection, a couple quarterback hits, tackle for loss. He was an absolute beast in that Super Bowl. I expect something very similar to happen again, maybe even more, because he was going up against like Orlando Brown, and uh, I can't remember the other guy, but right, uh, yeah, that 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 is uh, a huge matchup. I think he should be a, a key factor when you look at the Super Bowl this year. Over under over under a half a sack for Bosa. Over. See odds on that? I don't know. It had to be minus five hundred. It has to, it has to be minus one and a half. No, sacks are sacks are not that. Sacks sacks are like plus money. Yeah, they're, they're normally plus money. Really? Yeah. Yep. Doesn't happen a whole lot. All right, number five. It's the man of the hour. It's the anti-hero. It's it's all the the Taylor Swift songs that you can can name. It's Travis Kelsey. Goat. In the conference championship, he he set the record for what was it most receptions or most receiving yards in playoff history, beating Jerry Rice. That absolutely blew Tom's mind. But Travis Kelsey is – he's the only piece of that – of Patrick Mahomes' targets or weapons that, that that still work at a consistent rate. Listen, everyone was talking going into the postseason, is, is Travis Kelsey washed up? And if you watched him in the regular season, he looked a little washed up. But he made some absolutely incredible plays in the conference championship. Um, he's a guy that when the lights come on – He's ready to go. I, what was the stat that I saw? If you're, if you're a prop better, he has not gone under in any postseason game he's ever played in receiving yards. I That's think it's, preposterous. It's, it's listed at 70. That's a pretty high number, I think. But uh, he has never gone under. I might take the under just to be, just to be contrarian. the contrarian. Just to be the contrarian. Travis Kelsey is, is going to be a big part of this game. Is he the greatest tight end of all time? I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's between him and Gronk, right? That's he's it? The, Those are the only two? He's the greatest receiving tight end of all time, yeah. Yeah, Tony Gonzalez is up there. He, he, he was, uh, I think he's the receptions leader all time. Yeah. I think he is, but yeah, those are normally the three names you throw up there. Nobody's been as dominant as Travis Kelsey and Gronk. Like, Tony Gonzalez was great for a long period of time. Nobody dominated the game like Gronk, and, and Travis Kelsey is the closest thing to that. But Travis Kelsey's playing into his late 30s. They're probably, Gronk and Kelsey are probably around the same age. Yeah. In all seriousness. I, for me, it's Gronk because of how dominant he was. Like, there's no one that can compare to that 17-touchdown season where he was just bullying people. I mean, if he didn't have a bunch of injuries, I mean, he, he would probably be right there with Kelsey at this moment in terms mm -hmm. of the stats. Um, even so, I think uh, Gronk is up there um, in terms of the tight ends. But, yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at uh, Shuren, first ballot Hall of Famer, He's going to be very important to this game. He's basically their only threat. And, uh, yeah, he deserves to be at the fifth spot, in my opinion. Once again, this is a list that you made, Casey. I, I all, did not a, make this. I haven't I had anything to do this. with it. I haven't had anything to do with it. Coming in at we, number four. I, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, we have four spots left, and we still have two quarterbacks left. I'm really excited for this top four. Yeah, coming in at number four, it's Debo Samuel. Casey actually, when uh, – I put in my opinion. I said, I think Debo Samuel should be top five. He's like, I don't even think he should be on the list. And I was like, I don't know. 
I don't know. <laughs> Similar to Trent Williams, I, uh, Debo Samuel, when he doesn't play, the 49ers have a sub-500 record. Uh, they're the only two players on the field where that's where that's the case. Um, Kyle Shanahan, as I alluded earlier, when, when against the Packers when Debo did not play, they said when Debo's not on the field, we have to throw away half the half the playbook just because he does so many different things. He can run the ball. He can put him over the field. He is sometimes a vertical threat, even though I think Ayuk has taken that more in, in recent years. He's Mr. Do-It-All. He opens up the playbook. Debo Samuel, I think, is going to be just as big of a part of this game as Travis Kelsey is in all seriousness. I think when, when we're talking on Monday, we're going to be talking about either – how influential, whoever wins, it's either, man, Travis Kelsey was unbelievable yesterday or, man, Debo Samuel was unbelievable yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't disagree with that. I would have probably had him a little lower. I just don't think the receivers are going to be a big deal, um, uh, as big of a deal as the other players in this game. Um, but he is so versatile. Uh, he was very, very good in the Super Bowl that they played in. Uh, he had... 39 rush yards and 53 receiving yards. Uh, or I'm sorry, he had 53 or 53 rush yards and 39 receiving yards. He was targeted nine times in that game. I mean, he, he's just an all-around versatile key player to their offense and someone that you have to always game plan around. Um, and guys like that, they, they tend to be very, very uh, hard to stop. So, yeah, I mean – I guess four is fitting for Debo. I would have probably had him a little lower, but this is your list. So this is your list. This is, this is. I want to make something you, very clear. This is Reed's list. You he will know. You he, will know. This is not my list. Very shortly. And why? Yeah, is because that? you have absolutely no respect for number three, Chris Jones. The man's so oh big, he can't even fit. Future Bangle. Future Bangle. Future Bangle. That'd be great. Chris Jones. Uh, we, we talked about all the, the the major guys on the defensive side for the 49ers. Let's talk about the guy that can wreak havoc for this Chiefs defense, which I think is the better defense coming into this game. Um, Chris Jones. If you can neutralize Chris, if the 49ers are able to neutralize Chris Jones, then once again they can they can waltz their way, they can traipse their way into an easy win in the in the first Super Bowl in the Kyle Shanahan era. But Chris Jones is probably the best. Def interior defensive lineman has he taken that title from Aaron Donald in recent years Casey uh I would say so I would say so I mean he he can do anything for you the one knock on him is it feels like um and many I feel like many people say this he doesn't put in his full effort beginning of games but when it matters most he he shows out he when, it, when you need to stop, he's going to be there for you in the third and fourth quarter. I'm just looking at what he did in the Super Bowl. He didn't do a whole lot in the Super Bowl. Uh, he only had three pass deflections and one tackle. Um, was not very effective in terms of getting to the quarterback. In terms of the numbers, I don't know how he actually fared. I feel like he did a lot better than what the numbers are suggesting. But, yeah, I mean, he's going to be very important to getting to Brock Purdy. Uh, I feel like interior pressure in the NFL is king. Mm -hmm. um, and when you have a guy that's probably going to be a shoe-in Hall of Famer, uh, when you have two Super Bowl rings, obviously, and, and the numbers that Chris Jones has, uh, you have a pretty good shot at that. But, yeah, I mean, Chris Jones, um, he's going to be very, very important. If they don't have Chris Jones, I don't think they're going to have a shot at winning this yeah. game. If you, if you, could, you, you said um, interior pressure is king, when you can push back the middle – of the pocket, it kind of um, forces just, you to roll out. Right. It, it just 
confuses the entire play. And Brock Purdy does have that ability to roll out and make something on nothing. Um, but Chris Jones can certainly wreck havoc. So we're down to our final two of Casey's top ten list. There are two most, list. Player, most important players. This is Reed's list, and there are two quarterbacks left. Maybe Brock Purdy jumps Mahomes in this list. Coming in at number two, it is Christian McCaffrey. Uh-oh. A running back on a, on a top ten list? Uh-oh. Christian McCaffrey list is that. the exception to the rule oh, no. when I give my running back hate. I think running backs are a dime a dozen. Oh, no. I think that you never should pay a running back. Obviously, there's certain levels of that. Obviously, there's better running backs. Not all running backs you, you put in and they put the same production level. I just think you can get bang for your buck in free agency and you should never pay a running back. The exception to that rule is Christian McCaffrey. 49ers made a trade, traded away several draft picks for Christian McCaffrey a couple or last year, and it has absolutely proven to be fruitful. Christian McCaffrey is probably the most versatile player in the entire NFL. He he can he can get the hard yards. He, he has the speed. You can throw the ball to him. He, he's a receiving back. He can do it all. Christian McCaffrey is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, he I we both agree that he's the exception to the rule in our uh, running backs take. Um, he, he is absolutely incredible. I feel like you could probably line him up out at wide receiver in the slot or at, at uh, the X or the Y, and he's going to perform admirably. I mean, he, he, he is a dual threat, and it's crazy that the 49ers really have two of those guys in Debo and CMC. I don't know why they don't use CMC more on the out, mm-hmm. outside, but they, they don't really need to when he's so effective. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be very important to this this team's plan. They like to establish a run game so they can get into the play action, so they can roll out, so they don't have to worry about that that interior pressure. They can just uh, roll out of the pocket and chuck the ball down the field. So if they can't stop CMC, they're going to have a really hard time stopping the 49ers' offense. Um, and it all that's that's really what it boils down to is can they stop CMC? This is what's so funny. Everyone's starting to allude that there's not going to be Brock Purdy on this list. Yeah, it's Patrick Mahomes is number one. He's the best player on the field. He's the best player in the entire NFL. <laughs> so there's no Brock Purdy. But, like, think about how many players the 49ers have. Because you you put in the chat that there's no George Kittle. Yeah, we forgot Kittle. I don't know if we forgot Kittle. We, we talked well, about Kittle. Kittle. No, we didn't forget Kittle. We talked about Kittle yesterday. We talked about Brock Purdy. There's, yeah. I, there's Armstead. There's Karloftis. There's so many great players in this game, especially from the 49ers side. If I had my list, it would have been eight 49ers and just Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes from the Chiefs. Ever put in uh, Bucker. We forgot Bucker, too. Harrison Bucker, Jake Moody. Yeah. forgot about Jake Moody. Um, surprisingly, we didn't put in one of the punters. On this list, but I listen. When it comes to the back end of this list, Kyle like, Uzcheck, Kyle Uzcheck, <laughs> that's your guy. That's my guy. Um, I don't think you could argue any of these top. I mean, Sam maybe, Darnold, maybe maybe Debo, but like Chris Jones, CMC, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, absolutely should all be on the list. Ayuk, uh, Trent Williams, F- Fred Warner. Nick Bosa, those are all top two players. You could start arguing about the, the Isaiah Pacheco's. You could argue about the George Kittles. You could argue about um, Brock Purdy. But this, yeah. there's, there's a lot of players. The 49ers have an absolutely stacked roster, but Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the league. He's certainly going to be the best player in this game. So that was our top ten list. Let us know where we went wrong. <laughs> Let us know where we went wrong. I, again, I was sent this list this morning right before the show, and Reed sent it to me. I, I skimmed through it for three seconds, and I knew I, I read 10, 8, 9, 
And then right there, I just knew I wasn't going to see Brock Purdy on this list. In all it's because you don't like him. Here's the thing. I, I'm asking a serious question. Um, I, I, would, I would replace Brock Purdy with Isaiah Pacheco. I would do that. Casey fought for Isaiah Pacheco because this is Casey's list. Um, other than that, where would you rather see Brock Purdy be? I'm asking a serious question. Uh, Brock Purdy should probably be a top five player. I would I, I, I do I do think Brock Purdy is probably uh, I mean a little bit more valuable than Debo I would say because just because you need a quarterback you need a quarterback to throw I think Debo is great I think Debo is one of the greatest wide receivers in the league but I think Brock Purdy should probably be top five <laughs> most important players uh, Brock when Brock Purdy doesn't play for the 49ers they go to the Super Bowl when Debo Samuel doesn't play for the 49ers they have a sub 500 record so. Uh, was, was, was Brock Purdy all pro this year? I can find out for you. I'd love, I'd love to find that information. And again, this isn't the Brock Purdy hate show, but Reed does make a, a, a decent point that the, the roster is stacked around him. Absolutely stacked. So when you, when you talk about the most important pieces of their team, uh, you have, you, you can't take it for granted that you have Brock Purdy, but at the same time, uh, if you lose Trent Williams, if you lose... Fred, Fred Warner, it's, it's, it's just you, you're, you're, you're losing bigger pieces, in my opinion. So he was not on the All-Pro Associated Press list. Oh. It was Lamar Jackson, the first team, and then Dak Prescott as the second team quarterback. Okay. Well, yeah, it's because that, that, that Christmas game, that the, he, was the, he was the MVP odds-on favorite before that game against the Ravens where he threw four picks or something like that. Yep, bench for Darnold. Yeah, that was a rainy game. He doesn't play well in the rain. Luckily, he won't have to deal with that in Las Vegas at a dome. So, here's what it is. All right, guys, it's uh, the 11 o'clock hour, so we got to hear a word from our sponsors. Casey? Yep, I got you. The Bengals report that we did earlier was brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data center world with the suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing modules to improve efficiency and... Productivity. 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 Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. And let me tell you about this lovely bottle of water right here. Pawnee Water, made right here in Hamilton, Ohio. Uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water, and some say the best tasting water in the world. Visit Pawnee Water at P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Get your coffee from UDF. Swish it down with some Pawnee water and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. And while I got you, please, if you like the show, give us a like. And if you feel like doing so, share it with your friends. There's a little share button down there as well. You can copy the link and post it on all your social media platforms. Also, you want to be a member? You want to watch some of our members-only streams? There's a link down in our description. Click on that link. It'll take you to our two options. We have a $10 option, gives you access to all of our me exclusive member streams. And then the other option, a leader of men option, is uh, one that you can get discounts and other things like that to our merch store and uh, other exclusive items. So be sure to check that out. And uh, any other notes? We've got our Madden stream later today. 
Uh, we might have to do it a little earlier than uh, than than we want. But um, what you got? Anything to say? You're, if you're we laughing get, and giggling over if there. If we get to seventy, <laughs> if we get to seventy-five likes, if we get to seventy-five likes, I'll walk off the show. I'm just I'll, I'll walk out. And that would be the end. How about That's, that? There we go. We can do 75 <laughs> likes. That's what Off we'll the do. bench tomorrow with Elliot and Casey. <laughs> See you there. <laughs> See you there. Uh, yeah, so uh, other than that, what time What time? are we going to do gaming today? 1 o'clock? It, it's going to be earlier because I forgot I have uh, a birthday. I want to I want to say a special <laughs> birthday uh, celebration to my father-in-law, Nathan Hines. So. Nathan Hines, happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, Nathan. I do want to do tomorrow when we pick our Super Bowl picks. I do want uh, Ace Fowler in here because I because I, I, he stopped picking games about three weeks into the year. I really want to be right on that. I, I want to I want his official pick on this so we can talk about it on Monday. Uh, but yeah, tune in tomorrow uh, on Off the Bench from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. We'll see you at like 12:30. Is that right today for the, the men's stream? Or are we are we going right? Are we going right into it? I I don't know. I. I don't know. Stay tuned. Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. It'll be Stay in the Discord. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know. We'll probably, it'll be a little bit after the show okay, if, I, if I had to imagine. Hey, I don't know which way I'm leaning. And all, I know which way I'm leaning. I don't know if I'm going to pull the trigger on the Super Bowl pick in all seriousness. Like, I'm leaning Chiefs. I bet Chiefs. I, I haven't bet it yet. I'm leaning Chiefs. I don't know if I'm going to do it. I've, got, got, I've got Mr. 13-0 and 0 riding on We've got to do, do props tomorrow, too. I, I, I'll come together with, with, with about 10 props locked and loaded. Uh, do you guys do it? You guys, I imagine, don't because you guys aren't degenerates like mis- myself. But my buddies and I, we have a gambling group chat. And in that gambling group chat, we have a, uh, a prop list. And it has every single prop in the world. Uh, heads or tails, over under for the anthem, uh, first touchdown, last touchdown, uh, touchdown jersey number, over under. It's just nonsense. But it's so much fun. I, absol- I, should, I, should, I, I might make one for us. I might make one for us and we'll all put together a little bit of money. But... Uh, it's the Super Bowl's. Can Super you parlay the novelty props? No, I don't think so. Because that that'd be great if you like just had like. Could you imagine that? If if you did the over on the national anthem, three commercials with dogs in them, um, the the half yes. halftime show first song, and then it all comes down to the the winning Gatorade color, and you've got like a ten dollar bet riding on a thousand dollars, and it's like. <laughs> They dump, you know, the 49ers win, and they dump, and it's like the longest odds purple. Like, just dumped on Adams, The Adam Sandler uncut gem scene, but the first leg of his five-leg parlay for $10,000 is heads or tails on the coin flip. It's just, <laughs> it's just very funny. That is, that's good stuff. All right, you wanted to talk a lot about the free agency in the second hour. I did. I did want to talk about a little bit of the free agency. I have a tweet. Uh, do, you, uh, do you want me to start with the Trevor Bauer stuff, or do you want me to go into the other stuff? Start however you want, big dog. I'm flexible. I wanted to start with Trevor Bauer first because I saw this yesterday. I sent it to, uh, sent it to Casey. He was, I guess, on the Theo Vaughn show. Uh, and basically, he's he's proposing a, a deal where he will work on a, on a league minimum salary. Uh, he will have incentive ba- – it will be an incentive-based contract, but he'll be paid the league minimum. Uh, and he will go anywhere. And he, he's begging. He's begging you. We have this tweet from him as of yesterday. Once I get it up here, I can read it. Uh, Blake Snell is going to get hundreds of millions of dollars on a multi-year deal. And he should. He deserves it. For a team that doesn't want to commit multi-years, hundreds of millions of dollars, or many elite prospects for a Cy Young Award winner, they could sign me for league minimum and pay zero incremental dollars over what they have to pay to that roster spot anyway. Just another option for teams that want to win and don't want to break the bank. This is, he's a good salesman. He's a hell of a salesman. 
but I think the, the, the issue with Trevor Bauer is and will always be the, the off-the-field issues. Uh, how much risk are you willing to put up for a guy that is, is quite honestly a wild card? You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what is past. You don't know what he's done. Uh, obviously, he wasn't committed of any crime uh, for, for what he was blackballed from the MLB for. But um, I, I will say this. If you were an MLB franchise, uh, and maybe you're like the Athletics, and you're willing to pay le- absolute league minimum to get somebody who would maybe bring a couple fans into your ballpark, at least some controversy, some excitement, if you want to call it that, I, I don't think it would be a bad deal. I really don't. I, I, if I'm the Reds, I don't make a move. I don't want Trevor Bauer on my team. But uh, I, I'm sure there are other clubs out there that don't have a lot of hope for this season, and, and why, why wouldn't you do it? That's my point. Like, if, if you're paying him nothing, and that's what you'd be paying him, uh, essentially, and he hasn't been committed of any crime, I don't understand why you wouldn't at least do it. I don't want it for the Reds because I don't think he fits. Uh, I think we've got too many good starting pitchers. But, again, I, I, feel like, I feel like it's about time for him to come back. I don't know. You don't think he fits the Reds? I don't think he fits the Reds in the sense that we have, like, three starting pitchers in the wings still waiting to come back up. So I don't I don't know I don't know where he I don't know where he plays. Listen, there's no such thing as too much pitching. There is not. There's not. There's no such thing as too much pitching. Here's the thing about Trevor Bauer, and I've I've been on record really even before that uh, um, that whole lawsuit and everything came out. Like back, I remember back in 2018, 2019, I would be telling when I first started working at Chatterbox, I'd be telling Trace and Sean how much I hated Trevor Bauer just because he just always seemed like a punk. Like everywhere he went, he got it. He he didn't. He didn't get along with his teammates, obviously very famously at UCLA, didn't get along with Garrett Cole and, and, and his other teammates, went to the Indians, uh, missed a start in their in their World Series run because he was messing with a drone, which is which is wild. But here's the thing is all it takes is one team to sign Trevor Bauer and for him to pitch, and I think it, it, it'll never fully go away, the stigma around Trevor Bauer. But all it takes is him going on the field, and then you know he'll be accepted in the league once again. And I, I, I do believe that everyone deserves second chances, regardless as if you're a bad person or not bad person when you are getting blackballed for a thing that turned out to, from, from the evidence that I have seen, I can only speak for the evidence that I have seen, has, has uh, shown to be innocent, essentially, yep. then, then I, I just don't understand this. They, there's, there's obviously some teams and some, some cities with a uh, with a political lean that won't accept Trevor Bauer at all, we're talking about cities like Chicago, Los Angeles. I can't see either one of those cities uh, taking in Trevor Bauer with own arms. But here are cities here in the Midwest, like Cincinnati, Cleveland, Detroit. Those cities, I, I think that they would take a Trevor Bauer in, or at least they should. And I think all of the noise that'll come with signing Trevor Bauer will go by the wayside if he performs at a good at a high level. Now, I do think that if he comes in and doesn't play at a high level, and once again, there's no financial risk here. You're talking about a former Cy Young pitcher, a pitcher that signed a what, a 200, 300 million dollar contract with yep. the with the Los Angeles Dodgers not too long ago. Um, and you can get him at league minimum. And so there's no financial limitations there at all but if he doesn't perform there's kind of this stigma around be like all right we took a risk on this guy that 
outside sources saw him as a scumbag, saw him whatever the perception is on Trevor Bauer, and he's not even playing well, eh, that could be a bad look. But I think this is almost a all-reward, very little risk kind of play signing a Trevor Bauer. I, I don't – like, he's a Cy Young Award winner. I know you can – I mean, it was a Mickey Mouse season. I guess you can call it that during COVID. But it's a damn good pitcher still. I don't know if being away from the league for this long affected his arm. I think he pitched lights out in – I don't know where he was. Japan? Overseas. Wherever he was overseas. Uh, he pitched He pitched pretty good for as far as I can tell. And, and if he's willing to work for league minimum, I – don't understand why not. If it doesn't work out, you cut him. I mean, you just you just get rid of him. If if something else comes up, obviously his career would be over at that point, and the, and then you just and then you get rid of him. The, obviously, Mr. Mo put in a good chat. It's all about the backlash. So there's going Correct. to be people who complain, and, and that's and that's the reason why he's not on a team. So what? Like like I said though, what's crazy is is they're they're absolutely right about the backlash. And if you sign him and he performs, I think maybe erroneously. Willing to admit I'd be wrong if it was, but I have a feeling that if he plays and, and pitches at a very high level, all-star caliber level, that the backlash will wash over. <laughs> I think it would. I, I I do I do believe that. So, yeah. I if, if if yeah, I I mean, listen. I, I think there were clear issues uh, in the clubhouse with Trevor Bauer with various teammates, at least that have been reported. The ones that we know about, there have been various instances. Uh, arguing with managers, arguing with players. So maybe that's a part of it too. Maybe there's GMs out there that talk with their guys like, hey, if we went out and got Bauer, is, is this a guy that would fit in this clubhouse? Maybe the players are, 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 are speaking out against it. I don't know. Um, but it does seem strange that for a crime that he was never proven to commit, I, I find it weird that he's still not in the league. But to each their own. Outside of him, though, there's a ton of other free agents that haven't been signed yet. And I don't understand why. We are in February 8th, pitchers and catchers report at the end of this month. Um, I don't understand why Cody Bellinger has not been signed. Matt Chapman has not been signed. Blake Snell has not been signed. Jordan Montgomery has not been signed. Uh, Jorge Soler, J.D. Martinez, Tim Anderson have not been signed. Michael Taylor has not been signed. Tommy Pham, Gio Urshela. There's a ton of good talent left. Um, and I don't, I don't quite understand how there's this much talent and nobody's signing them. Uh, Michael Taylor is another name that I think is a pretty interesting uh, signing. I thought he had a decent year last year. But a couple years ago, we saw the, the offseason go at a, at a snail's pace. Yeah. This was when the, um, they were on strike, when the players were on strike, and we didn't know when the season was going to start. 2021 was that year, I believe, right? That's when the, the Reds traded away everyone. Or was it 2022? Right before 2022. Right before 2022. Right before 2022, they were they were on strike. We didn't know what the season, and that that was the reason for this kind of slow off season. Now there's not a, there's not an excuse, and I don't understand it. It used to be when free agents period started, um, winter meetings, right? That all the free, all the GMs would get together, all the owners would get together. They'd meet in Nashville, they'd meet in Las Vegas, they'd meet wherever, and there'd be 40 deals a day, and. Earlier in the offseason, we were saying uh, once Shohei Otani signs, once Shohei Otani signs to a team, then it's all going to fold out. Once uh, Yamamoto signs to a team, then it's all going to fold out. Once all these big names, the top of the free agent market signs, then you'll start to see the dominoes fall. Well, the perceived best bat going into this postseason besides Shohei Otani 
was Cody Bellinger, who had who had a comeback year this past year. Not signed, 28 years old, free agent, coming off a, a, a marquee or former MVP, former rookie of the year, unsigned. So I don't know what's holding everyone back. Is it going to be a case where it's going to be right before spring training, which spring training pitchers and catchers report next week, correct? Correct. Is it going to be a case where here in the final few weeks of February, all these players are going to start signing? Is it going to be a case where the big names sign, but we're going into we're going into the season and uh, a center fielder goes down, and then someone's like, "All right, I want Michael Taylor," or uh, a right-handed bat goes down, mm-hmm. and you're like, "All right, now I want Adam Duvall." I don't know what it's going to take. Um, obviously, as a Cubs fan, they were rumored to be making big me- big moves left and right, and they really haven't done a whole lot of big moves. They've been linked to JD Martinez. They've been linked to Matt Chapman, Cody Bellinger. But I, 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 don't, I don't remember a free agency ever being like this. And I don't know if this is going to be the norm going forward. I don't know if teams are getting a little weary based off of the price tag that players are getting. Like last year, if you recall, everyone was getting a $100 million contract. I don't know if it's players are still asking for that and that's what's holding it up. If it's a pushback from the free agents or from the front office saying, hey, we're done giving you guys these $160 million contracts for Brandon Nimmo. Just because Steve Cohen did it, just because we did that last year, doesn't mean we're going to continue to do it. I don't know if it's just a counterpunch to what perceived an explosion in the free agent market is. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't quite understand either. I just hope and pray that the Dodgers don't get everybody. Maybe they'll just, maybe the Dodgers will just legit be the biggest villains the MLB's ever seen. They'll win 158 regular season baseball games, they'll get Belly, they'll get Chapman, they'll get Snell, and they'll just literally, and they'll defer those contracts to 2084. Uh, they'll get paid $0 this year, and, and that's where we'll go. But I find it curious, and maybe where, like where, there's so many of these guys available, I can't even predict where they'd go. Right, that's, it, as a Cubs fan, more than likely one, one of them are going to the Cubs. But, yeah, you're right. I don't know where the pitchers are going. I don't know where Blake Snell's going. I actually just pulled up an article of people speculating on where some of these pitchers are going. And, like, the Angels we mentioned, like, four times. I'm like, God, Angels, please, please don't just be spending your money again. Please <laughs> just take it. You know what? Take a sabbatical. The Angels should take a sabbatical and get back next year. They should. Like, they should take it off here, go travel Europe. And just See the world. Try to figure out them, then go to college next year. See the world. There's nothing wrong with that. The other, the other Los Angeles team. We didn't. We never talked about this on the show, but I saw this, and I want to play it real quick. Yeah, go ahead. It's just a six-second clip, and it's what Mookie Betts was it's saying. Line. It's go ahead, Casey. I mean, every every game is going to be the other team's World Series. I mean, it is what it is. It's what we signed up for, you know. And yeah. so, I mean, every every. I mean, this is this is a team that I'm going to root against so hard. This, like, we talked about villains earlier on in the show, uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. The Dodgers are the villains. The Dodgers are the villains. This is baseball where where you have certain clubs that can spend literally a billion, 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 billion dollars and just have no repercussions for it. We got the Athletics spending like a million this year. Dodgers are spending billions, billions for that roster. And we have Mookie Betts out here saying every series they play – Every series is the other team's World Series. How do you not root against this team? Is there a world? Can I ask a question? Yeah. 
you said that the Dodgers are your, your are your most hated team in the MLB. One hundred percent. And you would love if the Reds would just dominate the Dodgers in the playoffs. In the play regular season, I, I the Reds have dominated the Dodgers in the regular season. In the past. I was going to say but, you're making it seem like it's your World Series. Like I, no, wrong. it's not my World Series. It's <laughs> not, not my World wrong. Series. He's well, he's but he's smug and he's pompous, and yeah. that's what that's what it is. The thing about the Dodgers are, and Tom brought this up before, that they are more and more used. I used to have a lot of respect for the Dodgers because they had a, an incredible farm system. They would always be coming up, and they still do, be bringing up their own players, right? Be these guys that rookie of the year candidates, Cody Bellinger's, Corey Seegers. I think in the '90s, the the Dodgers won five consecutive rookie of the years, which is honestly the greatest string I've <laughs> of of teams. That I've ever seen because that's such a random award. It goes to random teams left and right, and they won five in a row. Um, but more and more, the Dodgers look like the Yankees. Yeah. In that all of their players come from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Mookie Betts coming from Boston. Shohei coming from LA, from the Angels. Like their best players are from other places. 100%. It, it, it used to be like the Clayton Kershaw, right? Clayton mm-hmm. Kershaw, Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager. These are Dodgers guys, right? Yeah. These are guys that they brought up. These are their best players. That's not the case anymore. No. That's not the case anymore. They are the they are the they are what the Yankees uh, uh, at least have propaganded themselves to be. Like the mid two thousands Yankees, correct. where they've got Roger Clemens pitching, Gary Sheffield out in right field, Alex Rodriguez at. At third, Jason Giambi at first. I think it's the Marlins guy now too. Don't they have Miguel Rojas? I'm almost certain they have Miguel Rojas too. It's 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 wild. Good for the Dodgers though, man. They can go out and spend infin- infinity money uh, and still lose in the NLDS. So that's what I'm hoping happens. By the way, I don't. We didn't talk about this either. Gary Sanchez. He was one of the free agents that did sign. Signed with the who? The Brewers. Good for the Brewers. They're back. Is he gonna be their DH? I think he's gonna be their catcher. Well, William Contreras is their or, catcher. Or backup catcher then, right? I don't That's know. Gary, Gary Sanchez was a guy, El Kraken. I loved Gary Sanchez when he came into the league because he would hit 38 home runs and play terrible defense behind the dish. Was uh, he, he put on some pounds. He was a, a guy that Mad Dog Russo would, yes. just, would just kill every single game. Um, but Gary Sanchez kind of played well last year, right? He had, a, he had an okay season. Uh... I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've got a couple of Gary. I'm going to try to send a couple of these to Casey, some of my favorite Gary Sanchez moments. Um, but he, I think he was okay last year. But there's there's moments where Gary Sanchez just, like, doesn't try, and it's very evident. And I think that's a problem. I think openly quitting is is a serious concern. I, I sent one to Casey where he, he was obviously trying to uh, tag a guy at home plate, and then he just proceeded to not care at all and miss the tag. He had a 2.4 war last year. Did he really? Yeah. Here's this. With the This is when he was with the Yankees. Boom. I mean, what was that? I mean, what are we doing there? I'm, I got I got to try to find the um, Gary Sanchez sprint to first where he just walked. <laughs> tough. That's a tough look in the Subway Series, nonetheless. That game means something to that city. Means yeah. It means nothing to Gary. I watched a, a TikTok yesterday of a Mets fan and a Yankees fan putting together their favorite franchise's all-time roster. Like, this is our starting yeah. catcher. This is our starting first baseman. And the audacity of the Mets fan to say that their, their, their starting nine was better than the Yankees' starting nine when it's like Jose Reyes versus <laughs> Derek Jeter 
and uh, I don't even I don't even remember who the outfielder was, but against Mickey Mantle and Lou Gehrig against uh, or A Rod versus David Wright, and that was like David Wright was their three hole hitter. It was, it was hilarious. Gary Sanchez had a good year last year. He did have a good year. So good for the Brewers. They signed another guy. I doubt that Gary Sanchez uh, produces at a high level. He'll probably smash the Reds. He had an OPS plus of 116. Really? In 72 games, had 20 home runs. He batted 218. He hit a 292 on base percentage, which those things aren't very good. But he slugged 500. So good, good, still a good power bat. How old is Gary Sanchez now? 35? 31. 31. My God. 31. Just turned 31 in December. So there's that. If Would you like to see the Reds sign Trevor Bauer, any of these guys, one time? Like one, any more signings? Or are you good with the Reds roster as is? I, I mean, if we are if we have this many free agents available I, and the Reds don't put their name in the hat, I, I, I find that to be not concerning because they, they do have a full roster. The Reds have a full roster right now. They 100% do. I would like to see the Reds, if, if Jorge Soler is available – J.D. Martinez is available for cheap. I would I would like to see them get one more guy for sure. Uh, there's you, you can't have uh, you said you can't have enough starting pitching. I you would cannot. say you can't have enough depth. So why not add Jorge Soler? Why not have that guy available ready to you? Uh, but again, there's just so many of them. If, Bring back if, Donovan if get, Solano. Donovan Solano is a free agent. Bring him home. If the if the Reds get a Jorge, if they get a DH like a bona fide DH like yeah. J.D. Martinez and Jorge Soler, what would that lineup look like? It's stacked. It's loaded against. I mean, if we get Jorge Soler against a righty, Jorge Jorge Soler will still start again. He would start every day. So it would be Ceh at first, McLean at second, Ellie third, uh, Noel V. No, sorry, Ellie shortstop, Noel V. Third, uh, Stevenson catcher, steer and left every day. It would be T.J. Friedel most days in center uh, against a righty. It would be. I would assume. So Jamer Candelario is not playing. Oh my God! I forgot. Oh my God! All right, let me re- let me re- okay. Hold on. Let me rework it. Let me rework it. Jorge Soler plays outfield, so he goes to right field. When was the last time Jorge Soler played a lot of games in outfield? Probably since the DH. I mean, I I don't know. That is wild, isn't it? I forgot about Candelario. Okay, so Candelario plays third. Ellie plays. Twenty twenty two played no. more games as a as a left fielder than he did as a DH. But that was a year ago. He's certainly a DH now. India certainly does not play. I'm very sorry. I'm, I'm the biggest Jonathan India fan in the world, but I just get, went through the went through the uh, starting lineup. What you're what, you, what you're getting at is that it's not even a like a consideration. Like no, correct, it, it, correct. Where, where you said that Trevor Bauer would be wouldn't fit on this rotation. There's no need to get another bat unless it was an outfielder. I, I really do believe though, if, if you're if you're able to get a Jorge Soler or JD Martinez, let's do it. Hey, we gotta trade somebody then. It would be it would be Stevenson, Jorge DH, CES, Candelario at third. Would like we'd Noel need, Marte need, would Marte not play? We'd still need Noelvi though, yeah. He'd still, he'd still have to play. Like one Spencer of them, Steer or one of them moves the to the outfield though, yeah. It would be would be Noel the most like who would be the most likely candidate to move in the outfield? Marte? Yeah, I guess. It would have to be it would have to be. Not happening. Not happening. They could trade India for a bucket Mr. Mo, if they sign Solaire, then they could trade India for a bucket of balls. Signing Solaire would signal the end for Frailer Benson. I almost would have to agree. I think Benson would stay, and yeah, maybe Frailer would get the raw end of the deal there. But they're both lefties. But they're both yeah, they're both lefties. I want I want Jake Frailer here. I thought that he was doesn't a, compute. I thought he was a gamer last year. He was one of our most clutch hitters. So would I, Spencer Steer be that odd man out? 
No, I don't think so. After last year, Spencer Steer has certainly earned the spot, at least for this season. Now, after this season, I don't know what would happen, but I, I think at least for this year, Spencer Steer's earned that spot, as has Noel V, as has Ellie, as has Matt McClain. Uh, the only person that has not is Jonathan India uh, and, and one of the two right fielders. So this is going to be a fun – this is why Reds baseball is so fun. This is, why, this is why we're excited this year. I just went through our entire starting lineup and forgot one of the best free agents that we signed. That is phenomenal. I recently on TikTok haven't seen one video. I haven't seen two videos. I've seen multiple videos saying that the Reds are going to win mid-90s games. Mid-90s. 95 wins. I love it. 96 wins. It's possible. That would put me six feet under. No, that it would, wouldn't. That would bury me. If the Cubs are competitive too, no, it wouldn't. Uh, they're asking where would, where would uh, Fairchild play? Fairchild actually has an exciting new job this year. He will be driving Redzilla around the ballpark, and he will be firing T-shirts into the stands. That will be Stuart Fairchild's job. Nick Kirby says that um, Spencer Steer is the odd man out versus yes, right-handed, right-handed pitching. Yeah. About right-handed pitching. If you would have, if you would have, um, yes. So uh, what you're saying is, is I should take Spencer Steer's under because he's not going to play 140 games. I think he's still going to play. I think he's still. We have, there's still a lot to figure out. There's still a lot to figure out. Good here. We, problems to have. Good, great problems to have. And this is why works. This is why everybody's excited. So good for the Reds. Will Trevor? Will Trevor Bauer get signed? Trevor Bauer will not get signed. His career in, the, in Major League Baseball is over. I would like to. Uh, if he has, if it would be. It would be interesting in all seriousness. It'd be interesting as if uh, a contender, right? Yeah. Like as the season goes on, it's June, July, and a contender team that's first place in their division loses their ace. Loses their two. They go, listen, man, I mean, we could go and get a trade and lose some of our prospects. Or we just go sign Trevor Bauer, give him six, seven starts, and, and see what we got there. It's going to be league minimum. I think that's more likely than, than him signing preseason. Him coming midseason to a team that, that I, has an injury. I think, that's, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But I, even then, I don't, if, if, if he's offering a, a, a league minimum contract and nobody's biting on that, Nobody's ever going to bite on it. What about Nick Kirby saying that he hopes that somebody gets hurt so that Spencer plays that Kirby, Kirby said somebody, he hopes somebody gets hurt? Yeah, he's like, somebody will get hurt so that Spencer Where did Nick plays Kirby, every day. Oh, no. Nick, why would you say that? Nick Kirby. It doesn't sound like a real Reds fan to me. Nick Kirby's wishing for injuries? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, uh, but, no, Trevor Bauer will not be signed ever. I think, his, I think that's abundantly clear. I think he's pissed off just about everybody, so – that's that's it for the Trevor Bauer stuff. I, I listen. I, I don't I don't hate Trevor Bauer. I, I, I if he's not committed if he has not committed a crime, uh, again I don't know what you're punishing him for essentially. But I, I'll take a tough. I, I hate Trevor Bauer not because of the stuff that happened, like not because of the the legal and, and sexual yeah. assault stuff, but because of I hated Trevor Bauer before that happened. <laughs> it's just he seemed he seemed like a scumbag before that stuff happened. So he, he did. That's why I don't like Trevor Bauer. It's not. Uh, all that stuff from the, once again from the evidence that I've seen from that's presented to me. There's probably more out there. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dig into it too much. But from the evidence that I've seen, it's he should he should get another shot. In the it's league. NBA trade deadline day. Will LeBron get traded? What does this say about LeBron's legacy? What does it say about LeBron's legacy? Uh, LeBron's already won, won a title this year. He's what? Already won a title this year. <laughs> I forgot about that. He won the midseason uh, classic. 
Yes. He won the fall classic. Uh, but let's see. Let's go through some of the trades in the NBA. It's it's trade deadline day. Uh, <laughs> what we're doing in the final 20 minutes? Well, that's what, that's, what, that's what Colton said he wanted. He was making fun of us for talking Reds. Nobody knows what they want anymore. Uh, Pistons are going to get Quentin Grimes, Malachi Flynn, Evan Fournier, Ryan Archdiacchio. What's his name? Arch Archdiacchino. Archdiacchino? From Villanova. Archdiacchino. I know who he is. I can't say the name, though. Um, and then the Knicks will get Bo, uh, Bojan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks. Congratulations to them. I know those players. Uh, anybody else? Is that, is that the only one? The Wizards are nearing a deal to send Daniel Gafford to the Mavericks for Rashawn Holmes. Thoughts on that one? Colton Melvin said, I just wanted to hear Elliot say these names. Keep it going. Okay, let me see if I can find another. Um, the 76ers are trading Daniel House and a 2024 second-round pick via the Knicks to the Pistons. It's pronounced who say. Is it? Yeah. Is it really? No. <laughs> uh, I didn't know. The Oklahoma City uh, Thunder are finalizing a deal to send Trey Mann and Davis Bertans to the Hornets for Gordon Hayward. We have a – You know Gordon Hayward? Yes. Everyone wants uh, – Fred M. is asking you a question that he wants you to answer. Yeah. What are the Raptors trying to do exactly? What do you think the Raptors are trying to do exactly? <laughs> Interesting. Well, it's funny you should ask that because the Utah Jazz are finalizing a trade to send Kelly Olenek and Ochai Abaji to the Raptors for Kira Lewis, Otto Porter, and a 2024 round pick. So it does seem strange what the Raptors are doing up there in Toronto. I know. It doesn't make any sense. Is Vince Carter still playing for them? Or? No. No? All right. No. Well, I think with the Raptors, I think it's sad what's happening to the Raptors. Uh, they lost Pascal Siakam too. So unfortunately, I believe their season's over. But it's actually not over because in the NBA, I think half the league gets into the postseason. More than half. I think 20 teams get in. Anybody else? Oh, the Indiana Pacers trading Buddy Heald to the Sixers for Marcus Morris. Mm. How about that? Heald was a Jayhawk? Sure. The Timberwolves are sending 20. Uh, this is preposterous. The Timberwolves are sending a 2030 second round pick to the Pistons with Shake Milton and Troy Brown as part of the deal for Oklahoma, Monty Morris. Oklahoma. I knew it was Big 12. This is like what we did in our Madden simulation. We're trading 20, 30-round picks. Uh, the Celtics are landing Grizzlies' Xavier Tillman for, for two second-round picks. Colton Anybody Melman, else? Colton Melman says the Raptors are gathering all the Canadian basketball players, Kelly Olnick and R.J. Barrett. They're trying to bring Canada home. So will they sign Steve Nash and Joey Votto to round out their starting five? I think they will. What, Reed, why don't you read this one for me? The Utah Jazz are trading Simone Fantaccio to the Detroit Pistons for a 2024 second-round pick, sources tell ESPN. Uh, anybody else? Casey, what do you think the Raptors are doing? I think they're tanking is what Casey I think they're thoughts. doing. Casey, thoughts. I think the Raptors are tanking is what I think they're doing. That's all I can say. They're not very good this year, are they? I no, they're, they're very they're, bad. They're very bad this year. And they've uh, traded away, away all their players. Yeah, they're, they're tanking to try to rebuild. That's basically the, the gist of that. Hopefully they rebuild with their 20-50 round pick. That'll help them. <laughs> I uh, so. But, yeah, I listen, the NBA trade deadline day, it's almost become – I used to love the NBA trade deadline day, don't get me wrong. But it almost becomes – it's so good that it's just like I don't care. Like, you're just – everybody's just getting traded, the whole team. It, at one point, there was a time where uh, the MLB was really the only league that had major moves happen in it. Yeah. And then uh, I think the kind of onset was the Celtics becoming a, getting their team together. Um, KG 
and Ray Allen meeting Paul Pierce and then obviously LeBron James giving power to the players to say, like, hey, I don't want to play here anymore. But what are the drafters doing? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I love NBA talk here in this room. There's, there's nothing better than it. Do you think the chat likes us more when we talk NBA, NFL, or college basketball? If I bring up the name Brock Purdy anymore, I think I'm going to get a shotgun slug. They've, they've got they're handing them out over there in our it's, parking lot. It's getting bad. I, I I've I've never done a bit, perhaps the Dear Reds fans bit, that has been hated more than the Brock Purdy is smug and pompous bit. But at this point, I gotta write it out. You gotta write it out. At this point, I gotta write it out. I mean, God help me if if Brock Purdy and the 49ers win, which I think they probably will. In all honesty, yeah, by, by a point. Lindsay, I got a question for you. Yeah. What are, what, are the, the what are the Raptors doing? What are the Raptors doing? I don't know. What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> what it seems are they to be doing? the question we're all asking. Reed, it just makes you look like an asshat. Do I look like an asshat? I don't know. I like your little tuft, though. Do I look like an asshat? Hmm. I think we should do your top five. I think that's what we need. All right. So, guys, we haven't done this one. Did we do one last week or did we do one two weeks ago? But we used to do this every Wednesday. We're trying to get back to a regular schedule on a Thursday. On a Thursday. We've transitioned it to a Thursday. But it is Reed's Top 5 where I break down the thumb of the pulse here in the United States of America or more locally in the Queen City, the city that never apples. Cincinnati, Ohio. That was a good one. So we talked about free agency moves for the majority of this second hour. So he brought up a good point when I was asking him if they got Jorge Soler, what would their lineup look like? He forgot their biggest free agent signing of the offseason, Jamer Candelario. That's how great of an offseason it has been. So to commemorate the Reds' fantastic offseason, here are the top five moves that the Cincinnati Reds have made this offseason as we go into spring training next week. Coming in at number five, it's the move that the Zebra almost forgot. It's Jamer Candelario. Good move. It's a fantastic move. I uh, I really like this move when the Reds made it because it was a veteran stick in a lineup that has a lot of young players that presumably a couple are going to you know not live up to their expectations, and that's okay. There's still plenty of talent. You don't need all of them to, uh, to show out to have a great team. You just need a couple of them. But Jamer Candelario – uh, comes in as a veteran bat, playing in a, in a hitters-friendly ballpark. I think Jamer Candelario can really put up some power numbers, something that at times they've seen from Jamer Candelario, but he's normally a doubles hitter. If he would have been playing at Great American Ballpark, his home run numbers would be way up. He played instead at Comerica, which is the, the biggest park in the, in the country. So that was uh, number five. Let's keep it on. Um, we'll, we'll go with a local kid, Prince Suter. Here's what I love about the Brent Suter signing is he is he had a great year last year for the Colorado Rockies. He's played in this division. He knows it well. He's a molar kid. He's had a long, continued success. The thing that I love most about what the Reds are trying to do is they brought in a soft-tossing pitcher. As we all know, soft-tossing pitchers exceed in small ballparks. It's what they – when you have a guy that throws low 80s, low to mid 80s, you say, I want him to pitch in the smallest ballpark we've got. And that's exactly what the Cincinnati Reds did. They said, hey, get us the softest-tossing pitcher in the league. We'll put him on the mound 60 times a year, and you know what? It's going to work fantastic. So that's Brent Suter. That's coming in at number four. 
So not all moves are bringing in players, right, in the offseason. Sometimes it's keeping what you already have. Coming to number three, it's not trading Jonathan India. This is a guy that – this is Elliott's guy in all seriousness. This is this – is This the, was the best move the Cincinnati Reds could have made. It's, I know. It's the third best move that they, that they could have made, and they well, did make it. And they did make. It is not trading Jonathan India. This guy's in the clubhouse every day. He's got his pom-poms. He's got his skirt on. He's riling up the team as they go through the tunnel to march on a great American ballpark in front of 5,000 fans and and, and really show the Queen City what baseball is. When this team wins 97 games, they'll look at Jonathan India and his uh, 47 errors that he committed over the course of the season and say, hey, thanks, bub. We really needed you this year. So that's Jonathan India. Staying a Cincinnati Red at number three. Coming in at number two, this team has so much talent in the infield. So much talent. We're talking Matt McClain. We're talking Ellie De La Cruz, Noel Ve Marte, just to name the three young guys. And then, then you bring in a, a veteran bat like Jamer Candelaria. You got Jonathan India, who I know he's, he, some people think he's going to play in the outfield, but he was a rookie of the year, second baseman. CES playing first, and what did they do to help bolster even more depth? The Castellinis, they sent out and said, hey, fans, what would you like us, who would you like to see us sign? They sent that out back in 2015, and what came back was Josh Harrison. So it came about eight years too late, nine years too late, but they got Josh Harrison in a Cincinnati Reds uniform. So congratulations to Nick Crawl. He is showing, once again, the, the entire Major League Baseball why he is the best executive in the game, signing Josh Harrison, who is in the prime of his career. Um, so congratulations to the Reds. They've got a surefire all-star and Josh Harrison. So we talked about Josh Harrison. Everyone knows that was the best move. They didn't trade Jonathan India. They brought in Jamer Candelario. They brought in a soft-tossing lefty and Brent Suter to play at Great American Ballpark. And they said... What do we have here in Cincinnati? Yes, we have one of, if not the most hitter-friendly ballparks in America. This is a place where pitchers come to shine. We need to get a guy who really didn't have a good last year last year. He didn't have a year at all last year, and that's Frankie Montas. Frankie Montas is such a great signing for the Reds because he gets the bet on himself. He gets to come and pitch major league games for fans of 3,000 to 4,000 fans nightly. He might get, I don't know, on a great year, four to five innings pitched this year. And he is just going to light up the ERA leaderboards in Major League Baseball because that's what Frankie Montas is known for. This is a guy that's going to get Cy Young Award votes because he's going to pitch on a really good year, eight to nine innings this year. Not just one and one-third, but eight to nine, maybe four to five, more realistic. But this is a good signing for the Reds. A, 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 a very low-risk, high-reward in Frankie Montas. So that was Reed's top five. Elliot, immediate reactions of the top five. I loved it. I, I can't wait to open the chat. I thought, I thought you did great. They really liked you doing that. Nobody told you to turn off your mic or anything like that. Just a lot of positive. Do we get the 75 likes? Um, no. <laughs> Molly said, "Read talking Reds makes me want to stick a fork in my eye." Damn, that's a tough. That's got to be tough to hear. Forty-six likes. It's 46 not. It's likes. not too late to just be a Reds fan, you know. I hate that. That is so freaking annoying when people tell me to do that. But like, you live in Cincinnati. Why not just support the local club? 
Root, root, root for the home team? I don't understand why you don't do it. My dad actually got mad at me. Like, he gets mad at me when I root for the Cubs. And I told him recently, he's like, you aided and abetted my Cubs fandom. My dad coached me my entire life. And every time we'd coach a team, he, like, picked to be the Cubs because he knew I liked the Cubs. And, like, we played summer ball. Yeah. And he's like, hey, you want to be the Butler County Cubs? Yeah, we'll be the Butler County Cubs. You want to be Cincinnati Cubs? Yeah, we'll be the Cincinnati Cubs. I, there was also a funny chat. It was uh, Enquire shaking hands with Chatterbox, Cubs fan talking about Reds baseball. Mm. And, and here's the thing about that. I want, I'll bring that up to end the show here. Uh, Jason and, and Gordo, they write those articles. And I, I want to say something. I, I, I do like Jason. I think J- Jason has been very nice to me. I don't know anything about Gordo. I'm starting to not like Gordo very much. But they do these uh, Twitter, they do these little, I guess it's not a Twitter, it's their actual articles, but they do a written podcast. It doesn't work, really, in my opinion. I don't, I don't think it's great. But uh, Twitter has absolutely destroyed these things. And I guess, it's, I guess that's the business. It's a clickbait business. And it gets every click every single time to, to a point where Jason had to quit Twitter. But I, I, think, I think it is crazy how... We have a Cubs fan as our lead Reds Reds writer, and he doesn't. I think he actively does a Cubs podcast. He 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 covered the Cubs for like decades, right? Gordon Wittemeyer, right? correct. But then he has an he actively covers the Cubs still while he covers the Reds. Like he's like a Cubs. He's a Cubs guy. I mean, for a decade there was a guy calling games in Chicago that grew up a Cincinnati Reds fan. That's fair. It, 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 but he wasn't, all, doing both, all, he wasn't doing both at the same time. In all honesty, in the '90s, in the '90s, uh, Cubs broadcast broadcasters were one was a, a Cardinals fan and Harry Carey, and one was a, a Reds fan and Tom Brenneman. It's kind of interesting to think about. It is but, interesting. Yeah, that's that's a, that's all I had. Do you like Gordon Wittemeyer? No, but I don't know him. So what, what do I know? Hmm. I don't know him personally. I, if if I knew him personally, I'd probably like him. I'd imagine. I, and this is my thing with a lot of people. I think if you meet anybody, uh, you're most likely not going to hate. Like, I, I receive hate in the comments, too. Um, but they don't know me. You don't know me uh, per, on a personal level. I think a lot of this chat does, I would assume, think they know me on a personal level. And I think I know them on a personal level. But there's outsiders who see, like, a one-minute clip one time in a year. And they're like, oh, that guy sucks. And it's like, it's, 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 it's an interesting medium to navigate because you can't really say you don't like anybody when you haven't met them ever. So... That, that's my, but I'll continue to say it because it's funny and it's an exaggeration. But do I like Gordon Whitmire? No, when it comes to the articles that he writes about the Reds. Does it when people do say bad things, mean things in the chat? Because it does happen. I mean, that's part of part of the job. Does it affect you? Does it bother you? Like when people tweet mean things? Yeah, or does? it does. I, I I've I've tried to navigate navigate it a little bit. Um, and, and there's not too many, thankfully. There's not too many. A lot of the times, like, the, the worst comments we'll see are be, like, on a TikTok or a YouTube video we do. And it'll just be, like, one-off comments. Like, we'll, like when Reed and I do our Brock Purdy bit, uh, there'll be hatred that comes in from San Francisco. All the hate from San Francisco pours in on us. And that's, I understand, because I'm, I'm making fun of their player. Um, but sometimes it is just, like, a random take I have. It's like, yeah, this guy's not very smart. Like, that hurts my feelings. But I'm going to have to move on. But I'm not very smart. He is right. <laughs> Mr. Moe, when you said, if you, meet, if you meet these people, you might like them. And he said, I don't know if I've met Reed. Then he said, I actually met Reed like five years ago at Bluffton and recently. So I don't know. I just think I don't like him. <laughs> so, that's, such a, that's such a funny bit. Kirby, Kirby says, don't open the TikTok. TikTok comments are terrible. They're, they're, they're the worst. Uh, 
what does Jolly Jolly say? As long as they're making noise. That's what Kyle Bush told me when I asked him about the haters. Embrace it, Elliot. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Well, that uh, Sean Connor, God love him. He, he, he's tired. But Sean Connor, the commitment of presenting unbiased analysis of Reds baseball as a Cubs fan is impressive. I mean, if if you guys want me to try and give opinions about the Cincinnati Reds and not just stick it up, mm-hmm. it'll it will be terrible. Yeah, like it will like it will be the equivalent of like uh, w- when Trace comes in here and talks about Joe Burrow and stuff like that. It'll be the equivalent of of, of stuff along those. So I'm not gonna do it. Like I'm just I'd, I'd rather just stick it up because I don't want to try and. Uh, and be hated regardless. So I no. might as well. That's why I do all these shticks. Is it, it, I try to act like it doesn't uh, affect me when people are, are being mean. So that's why I think that's why I stick it up is so that I can I can control. At least at least I'm like asking for it. You know what I'm saying? I'm okay with Reed sticks most of the time because I think genuinely, at least when it comes to the Reds, like he's a genuine Cubs fan. Like if he was a fake Cubs fan, he never watched the like he watches every Cubs game. You think I'm a? You and think I'm a? a fake I think Xavier fan? I think he's a fake Xavier fan. I think this guy doesn't care about Xavier. So when he endlessly makes fun of UC, endlessly on Twitter, no matter what UC does, he'll make fun of him. And, and, and I think that's just like he he's like he, he'll root for Xavier, but like he just hates UC. Like that's his fandom. Oh no no, no 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 that's not it at all. I think it is, and that's why that's why his. Like, his trolling of the Reds doesn't get on my nerves because I think it genuinely comes from a place of uh, a Cubs fan who, who's just trying to be silly. I think he's just a hater on UC. I think he just hates UC. He I know. That's people. not it. I, I think I you try to God. upset people. I think you try to upset people. I, I like Xavier. They're clearly my third favorite team. Like, it, it, I, I clearly like the, the Cubs and the Bengals way more than I like Xavier. I sit down and I watch every Xavier game. After after the new year, after the Bengals are done, <laughs> like I don't, I'm not going to sit down and, and admittedly watch uh, watch them play Oakland or Delaware. I'm, I'm should have. So you didn't watch them play Oakland or Delaware. Some are saying that's why they lost. Could be, could be. I I'm not going to ever do the recruiting stuff. I will never ever do the who did we get in recruiting. I know that's part of being a college sports fan. I will never do it. I'm just telling you that. Like I I, I won't care. I'll just when, – when, when it's time to start the season, who do we got this year? Who are our guys? That's right. And do I pronounce all their names right? No. <laughs> what was I, the one I said today? You tried your best, though. I, I, I forget which one you said. Um, but, look, we're all fans. We're all fans. And, listen, we love you all. No matter – no matter, like, Christopher was, was spewing some hate a little bit. That's okay. We love everybody in the chat. Thank you for watching our show. Um, and I think that's – I think that's going to do it for today. Uh Unless you have anything to add, big love, Reed. I do not like you when you talk about the Reds. That, hey, listen, we got a long seven months, so uh, go ahead and buckle in. Good luck, Stra- baby. Stra- strap in. Good luck, it's, baby. It's not gonna, it's not gonna get any better. So every once in a while, I might actually give a take, but most of the time, it's gonna be me sitting over here, quiet, waiting to talk about the Bengals stuff. This has been off the bench. We thank you very much, everybody. Please, we know you have questions. Uh, we understand the last couple of weeks have been uh, different, to say the least. Every question that you have will be answered tomorrow. So please tune in tomorrow. Uh, And again, I wish we could say more, but we cannot. But we can say it tomorrow. So everybody, see you tomorrow at 10 uh, a.m. 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on Off the Bench. But in about 30 minutes or so, we do have a members-only stream. We'll see those guys in there. Thank you very much. Love you guys.